This podcast is part of the No Phony Podcast Network, the home of independent awesomeness. That is the scariest hippie I think I've ever met in my life. So, and this is the most Roger Corman part of the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to explain this part? Nope. Except they never told the actors it was a bullshit movie. <laughs> All right. Hey, Casey, how are you, sir? Good, what, man. What a hell of an intro you have figured out for us. What is that from? That is taken from the show that you told me about that I didn't know anything about. Scott Schwartz was in it, right? Oh, uh, Raiders of the Living Dead. Raiders of the Living Dead, yeah. And I actually, I never, t- I haven't told you this, but I, I, I made us an intro, which was based on that intro, and I had a guy on Fiverr do it. <laughs> yeah, you know, Fiverr's pretty awesome. You can get anything done on Fiverr. There's great graphic designers there. There's really good, you know, photography retouchers, and you can get, like, intros made. You can get animations made. Fiverr's a hell of a place to, to shop around for shit for podcasting. Yeah, on our on my other podcast that I won't mention its name, the one that uh, I no longer do, uh, that's how I got the the video intro done on that for Fiverr. And then I showed Jay Ray from the No Phony Podcast Network that we're on, and he was like, why would you pay for that? And then he, he made one for me. Yeah. And then I kind of figured it out. Like the, the, the intro that I did for this, for our show, I, I made that. I just added a bunch of uh, GIFs together in like this little program that I have on my computer and then added our background music to it. And uh, that was it. It's pretty, it's really, it was actually really simple. Wow. You're like the Spielberg of <laughs> podcast uh, video, I guess. Not video quite. cast. I like that you're not going to name your old podcast. It's like some <laughs> shady, like keep it, keep the mystery going. Yeah. You know? Remember, every once in a while like as we go on and do more i'll be like yeah remember that old porno podcast you did <laughs> and now it'll be a you know none the wiser it will never be mentioned by name yeah well sadly today casey we we don't have any guests um but you know you've done an, a, a an amazing job talking to celebrities who are going to come on pop culture celebrities from back in the day to help us sort of dig in and get behind the scenes because that's absolutely fascinating stuff to us and, you know, hopefully everybody likes it and keeps on listening. What do you think of the last two podcasts we did? I think they were pretty damn good. I mean, we got some uh, really good stories out of Scott and out of Larry Hankin. I mean, it's crazy to think that back in the 60s when he was opening for, or when he was a stand-up comic, that he was opening for, like, huge bands like Jefferson Airplane, Love and Spoonful, Miles Davis. I mean, that, that shit just blows my mind because you and I are both, you know, well-versed in the in the music scene and if you would if that would happen now i mean i know like bonnaroo and these big music festivals have like comics there stand-up comedy but they're in their own certain tent it's not like they're opening for a musician you know what i mean i I was not familiar with comics doing that until he said that i actually looked it up afterwards yeah that was a thing i know like jim brewer opened for metallica for a while and i thought that was really weird i'm like what the who the nobody fucking does that (laughs) <laughs> and it turns out that was a pretty common thing. So yeah, definitely cool to learn about. Yeah, he was a cool dude, man. He he has a lot of stories. Same with Scott. It was like, wow, you guys have a ton. 
of stories. So yeah, maybe yeah, set up I, some other interviews with him because I'd love. There's oh, more we can, we can learn. Absolutely, yeah. And Larry, actually, I'm not sure why he didn't uh, mention it, but he does have a book. If you look on uh, Amazon, he does have a book that you can get. I forget the name of it right now, off the top of my head. But you know, so does he, apparently. <laughs> well, maybe he's working on another one that he just didn't want to promote that one for some reason. Maybe there's like shady history there, like you and your other podcast. He maybe. didn't want to mention it. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> Well, Maybe. it's been great. You know, Casey, uh, I'm really glad that you asked me to, to help you with this podcast. You're the expert. I'm still learning. I'm really proud of my sound today because I've been sweating over that for the last two weeks. I'm watching all these videos and I'm like, okay, this is how to do it. And the first time I had the microphone right next to me and I sounded like I was a, a billion miles away. So then I'm like, all right, I'll try this headset next. And then I sounded like a robot. Dude, I was so upset over how crappy I sounded. Today, I now have a $300 headset and I think I sound okay. Jesus Christ, Bill, $300. That's cheap for this kind of stuff from what I'm Wow. Learning. Yeah, yeah this, uh, I mean, to me, my un- untrained ears, I thought you sounded great the first two episodes, but I had to send them to you multiple <laughs> times to be remastered, and I think yeah. we have it all figured out now, though. I think we're getting there. Well, today I thought instead of instead of having guests, we could maybe talk about a few different things. Uh, you know, so I have a few segments to maybe throw in front of you. Some I might have told you about, some I might not have, but we'll see if we can have a little bit of fun. You know, in lieu of having a guest, do we have a guest lined up for next time yet, or should we hold that until? Uh, yeah, sure? let's just hold off for now for the next guest. But uh, in two weeks, we will be get, getting. Uh, this is definitely locked down. Uh, Robert Ray Schaefer from uh, he played Bob Vance on The Office, uh, Phyllis's husband, and he was also in a horror movie back in uh, the early or the late '80s and early '90s called Psycho Cop, and then Psycho Cop Returns. So Robert Ray Schaefer. And what's the one that you sent me uh, information about? And I was watching the uh, today. I've oh yeah, yeah. the name of it. He has a he has a, a fairly new movie out that he made himself called Dick Dickster. Dick Dickster. <laughs> I mean. <laughs> You know it's going to be fun. <laughs> you call the movie Dick Dixter. Uh, I watched yeah, so. some Dick Dixter today, as a matter of fact. Nice. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna watch it uh, tonight. I want I want to check out Psycho Cop too before we uh, talk to him. I don't know what it is about those old movies. They're not made well. I mean they they are absolutely put together by amateurs who don't really know a ton about what they're doing, and somehow they make this magical thing. Right. And, and as a kid, when I used to watch this stuff, I'm like, oh, my God, it's so realistic. Holy shit. They're really cutting off Freddy's, you know, he's really pulling skin off his brain. And like the stuff that they could do uh, just absolutely like when I watch it now, I'm just completely floored about how I ever in a million years thought that these were good special effects. <laughs> and now you just like look at them and you can see like the hand like offset, like, you know, squirting the blood because <laughs> we're going to be talking about a movie later. Galaxy of Terror that falls exactly into that sort of category. Of, oh, yeah. Holy shit, who let this movie get made and how did they release it and how did anybody watch it without going, this is bullshit, I could make this myself. <laughs> Dick Dixter has that sort of feel and I, it's intentional. You know, it's like watching trauma oh, yeah. movies. You know, there's, there's no way that, that they don't know that it's silly and, you know, just campy. Oh, absolutely, for sure. Well, I thought I'd kick off with uh, a news segment because everybody loves the news. And there's a lot of shitty news out there, Casey, because we're in a pandemic. Absolutely. We're quarantined. I think we're on day 212. 
feels like a very long time. I think what, I think we're only like 60 days in, but I'm like. <laughs> I wouldn't even be able to tell you. If I would go through my texts, I would be, I would probably, or my, I have uh, the Google phone and it keeps track of uh, all of my whereabouts. And I could tell you the last time I worked, but yeah, I, I mean, I, Unless I looked, I would have no idea. It's been. It seems like it's been forever. But it's this. This isn't. This doesn't bother me that much. I mean, I like being home. I have a lot of stuff to do. You know, I've been recording a ton of podcasts. I mean, I like being by myself. You know, I'm Barbara. You know, my girlfriend. She's home from Florida now. Yeah. Uh, so I mean, I, I like just being here on our little compound. Did you do four podcasts today? I think that's what you were planning. This is for uh, this is my third. Yeah, <laughs> you have one more after this? No, no more. No, no. It was just three today. And that's yeah, what I did, you mentioned earlier. I did four last Monday. So how are you doing? Oh, my, I don't know how you do it. <laughs> I don't know how you do it. After like those interviews, I, and I hardly did any talking. I was done. <laughs> I was fried. I was like, no more. Well, on my other show, On the Road with Jim and Casey, my co-host Jim Morganti does a lot of the talking. Uh, we have a system worked out where um, I'll ask like a, some questions and then I'll just hand it over to him. And uh, then I just pretty much wrap it up at the end of the show. I just sit, sit here. And on our, on our, well, on this show also, uh, when we have guests, I do a thing called Speaker View for the Zoom where when the, when the guest is talking, that they're the ones who you see on the screen. Yeah. Uh, so I can just like during those shows, I can just sit here and I mean, until the end of the episode, I could fall asleep. Really? Nobody's going to see me if I don't say anything. You know what I mean? I like zoom. I've just sort of discovered it with this whole pandemic, but yeah, that jumping frames thing, that's just a part of online, uh, whatever they call these sort of devices, these, uh, these apps, these online, just screen sharing apps, whatever. Mm-hmm. But you know, the zoom has it down pretty good, but I notice. And for the listeners who might be listening, we also have, you know, the video version of everything that we do. Casey will certainly plug it all as, as we continue on here. Um, but the, the way that it jumps back and forth, I think Zoom does a good job of that. But it's like if you make the little sound, like if I go, <laughs> like it'll jump over to me and it screws up the whole flow. That, I wish there was like a way to edit that. When this whole thing is done and we get back into your studio, which is really cool the way that you have it, you know, designed and planned out. And it's going to be, I think it'll be a lot smoother, but this is working pretty good. I think ultimately. Yeah, absolutely. I was like, I don't know if I want to do something virtual, but uh, you proved me wrong. It's really pretty smooth. Yeah. And especially with some of the guests that we're going to be getting, I mean, even in when we're in the studio, I mean, we're going to have to be doing virtual, virtual meetings with them, you know? Yeah. Uh, So yeah, I think it, uh, I think it's been working great. There's a great feature on Zoom where like you use it a lot for our interviews where you can mute yourself. So if you do call for something, that won't happen. You know, where it won't it won't switch over to you while the while the guest is talking if you make a noise. But uh yeah, I've had to, like on our other show, I've ha- I had to tell my co-host James several times like stop typing so fucking loud while the guest is talking because <laughs> it's switching over to you while they're talking and you're typing, you know what I mean? Right. So. Yeah. He looks like he's not paying attention, typing yeah. away, typing an email. <laughs> exactly. Like, Yo, you're on camera, dude. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Part of the Zoom world, I guess. Anyway, I said we were starting news and I got distracted again. See, I think I'm like Jimbo. I'm the motor mouth of the, yeah, that's all right. I'm discovering as I go. Well, in some 
pop culture news that we uh, hope you are interested in. Did you hear about poor old Fred Willard has passed away? Fred Willard dying at 86. I didn't hear what he died from. Um, I hope it's not COVID-19 related. Did you hear about this? Did you catch what he died from? Uh, it was not COVID. It was just natural causes. He, he was, it wasn't COVID related at all. Yeah. He's just like um, Larry Hankin. He's been in so many things. And yeah. the first time I found him was Spinal Tap. I was a huge Spinal Tap fan. But it turns out he had like 100 movies even before Spinal Tap, 100 movies and TV shows. Wow. So, yeah, he's one of, he would have been great on this show. Yeah. I guess yeah, he should have moved I'm a little sure. faster there, Casey. <laughs> I'm sure he had uh, some great, great stories. Yeah, he was, he was just one of those. I loved his dry sense of humor. Like in all of those Christopher Guest movies, he was just wonderful in I always wonder when you get an actor like that, how much is improv and how much is, is scripted? Yeah. You know, because those whole, all those, uh, uh, what, what's the dog one? Um, a mighty wind is another one. A mighty the, wind. The and then, guest. um, yeah, the, show. Uh, that was best the best show. One. Yep. I mean, are, do you think anything and spinal tap as well? I think there's another, but do you think like anything in those uh, movies are scripted at all? I can never tell. It just feels like they're like, okay, here's this sort of premise. Go to work. I'm always fascinated watching, you know, actors like that perform. Yeah, it's hard to tell. I mean, I'm sure they have I'm sure they have some sort of script, but I'm sure with like a lot of those guys like Fred Willard, like a lot of it is just off the cuff, you know, just say funny stuff, you know? Yeah. Well. And Leslie Nielsen was another one of those guys, like the dry humor. He was a, a serious actor before he got into like all the naked gun police uh police squad stuff, you know? Right, right. I mean, it's a certain kind of genius to be able to perform that way, always be funny, you know, and to just go and with all the pressure. I mean, you stand on a set. It's not like this intimate thing. I mean, there's people all over milling around doing other things and you have to sort of act through a set. I mean, a scene. And if you're just winging it and kind of making it up and being funny and creating things that are memorable in this, you know, this day and age where there's so much content out there. God bless them. I mean, what a what a great talent that we we've actually lost here. So, yeah. Other news, Casey. There's other things happening in the world. And I wanted to let you know that Friday the 13th has turned 40. Wow. Friday the 13th, the first one, May 9th. What's it today? Uh, May 17th. So Friday the 13th has turned 40. Wow. And we are old. Yeah. Speak for yourself, brother. How old are you again? I always forget. <laughs> I'm only thir- I'm younger than Friday the 13th. I'm only yeah. 39. Yeah, you're, you're I'm going to be 40 this year, man. Yeah. Everything changes when you're 40. Oh, yeah? Oh, dude. It's bad. It's bad. <laughs> like, like what? Well, check out colonoscopies. Google colonoscopies. Oh, yeah, no. yeah. yeah oh. I'm well on my way. Don't worry. So my wife sent me to, a, uh, to get a colonoscopy because I'm 45. She's like, you know, you're 45. You ought to go get a colonoscopy. I'm like, ah, I know what those are, and I don't think I want one. She goes, come on. You're 45. It's time to get it. So I schedule it. I go in, and, you know, I'm laying down. The guy goes, well, what brings you in? I said, well, you know, I'm 45. I'm you know, here to get a colonoscopy. He goes, ah, people don't usually come in until they're 50. I'm like, oh, my God. <laughs> I'm like, what? what? Can I go? Uh, Eh, now that I'm here, go ahead, put me to sleep. You had that coming to you. Moon Before- River. He <laughs> <laughs> was in the whole fist there, Doc? <laughs> <laughs> uh, nice callback. Nice pop culture callback there. 
Um, I lost my train of thought. <laughs> That's a great movie. All right. So I, I was thinking, uh, thinking about Friday the 13th. You know, there's, there's a few famous people. We're going to play a game. We're going to play a little trivia game. There's a few famous people that have come from 80s-related horror movies. I have thought of five of them. Okay. I want to see if you can come up with any famous people that have been in any of the 80s-related franchises. We're talking about... Uh, Halloween. We're talking about, of course, Friday the 13th. Happy birthday. We're talking about <laughs> Freddy Krueger. We're talking about Leatherface. We're talking about any of those things. Can you name any big stars that have been in any of those franchises? How about uh, Jamie Lee Curtis got her start in Halloween? That's a great one. Right? That's true. You know what? I didn't even think of her because it was so obvious. Yeah. So that's a good one. What um, else you got? I, I'm, I'm not going to lie to you, Bill. I cheated when I saw your notes here. What? And, uh, <laughs> Damn it, Google Collab or Google Sheets or what? Drive yeah, you're going to have to hide docs. that from me. I mean, I found different ones that are on your list, though. All right, so who'd you find? Maybe you don't, maybe you don't even know these. We'll see. Uh, me, Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio. Was in, uh, was he in, uh, not Trolls. Shit. Not Leprechaun. Damn it. Uh, you're going to say Jennifer Anderson was in the Leprechaun. <laughs> yes, what, I am. What was, what was Leonardo DiCaprio in a horror movie? What, what, I, I, I don't know. What was it? Critters 3. Gah! <laughs> the best Critters. You know what? You're right. I do remember hearing that. But I think when I saw Critters 3, I just didn't pay any attention. <laughs> That's right. He really was in that. Yep. Yeah, and uh, you're correct. My next one was uh, Jennifer Aniston. So I came up with Kevin Bacon, of course, was in the first Friday the 13th. Uh, Poor guy was just laying in bed, and Jason's mom, spoiler, if you haven't seen Friday the 13th by now, I'm sure you have, so I didn't spoil shit. But, you know, Jason's mom stabbed him from under the bed, blade went through the neck, horrifying. Um, What about Johnny Depp being in the first Nightmare on Elm Street? Yep. Another that one was, that got just slashed up, right? His bed ate him. Oh, his bed s- ate him. And then squirted blood all over the ceiling. <laughs> I I don't remember. I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever seen any of the... I mean, I've, I'm not going to say that I haven't seen them. I, I'm sure I have. But I don't remember a lot of the Nightmare on Elm Street movies. And if I've seen any of them, it's been clips of them. I don't, I'm not sure if I've ever made it through a, a, an entire movie. Really? Yeah. And you call yourself a horror fan, sir. I, I'm starting to just recently get into the horror scene. Hmm. Well, and I'm more, I'm more of like, I like the campy stuff, like the like the really, really cheesy horror movies. For sure. Me too. And, and the thing is about Friday the, uh, Freddy Krueger, rather, it starts out serious because Wes Craven did the first one. And, of course, Hollywood says, wow, we made a lot of money with that. Let's make some more. And he's kind of like, well, you know, I want to move on. Maybe I'll have some small part of it. But as he kind of let it go, it got campier and campier. And then it's like, you always know, like, it, it's gone too far when you meet the killer's parents. You know, it's like, <laughs> then we start getting introduced to the killer's parents. We're like, okay, we're running out of gas here. So uh, a great example is like Halloween. As the Halloween franchise keeps going. It gets worse and worse, and he's like, you find out he's really, uh, Michael Myers is part of a cult, some pagan cult, and there's a whole mysterious crew who are like sort of secretly behind him. So I, I totally read out of it. Even as a dumb kid, I knew this was not good. I knew this, <laughs> <laughs> I knew this shit was out of gas. 
but Paul Rudd, Paul Rudd was in Halloween Six. Really? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I love the Halloween uh, Six. The fake surprise since you've read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> Halloween Six, you say? Yeah. I mean, can you imagine? Like, I think it was right around the time he was either before or maybe right after Clueless. I I, I don't know the dates. Like, oh wow, I'm going to do Halloween, and then I'm going to blow up and become a major you know, movie star. I hope nobody remembers I was in Halloween six. <laughs> so I, I, I hear he's a great guy. If I ever see him on the street, I'm going to be like, Oh my God, I know you. You're the guy from Halloween six. And then I'm going to walk away. <laughs> well, I had two more on my list, two more celebrities who were in horror movies. And I'll say Crispin Glover. I don't know if it was his first role. I like Crispin Glover. He's, he's an interesting guy. I would love to have him on this show. I'm he's not got sure so I much. That is. He played George McFly on Back to the Future. Okay. Um, he's got, if you look up some things from the 80s, look up Crispin Glover and David Letterman. They used to um, really have these crazy interviews where Crispin Glover, I don't think he was acting at all. He just sees the world differently. <laughs> and the, you know, the sharp wit of uh, David Letterman was really just kind of chopping him down the whole time. And it, at one point, he sort of starts talking about how high he can kick. And, you know, he may have been on some illicit materials, but he stands up and he karate kicks Dave's face and the audience just goes, Oh, and you see Dave. And like, this is like real shit being taped. Like he's like, time to go time to get you off the show. You ain't coming back. So he's got a pretty wacky reputation. He actually kicked him. He came very close. Oh, wow. So Crispin Glover is out there, but I've heard him interviewed recently and you know, he's, he's actually, he, he seems he's super smart. He's super interesting, so we'd have a good time talking to him. Corey Feldman was also in the same uh, Friday the 13th, the final chapter. Bullshit, the final chapter. It should have been called bullshit. This is never <laughs> – there's no shot that this is going to be the final chapter because this thing's making money. I think that was the, the long title. But, yep, Corey Feldman played Tommy there, which is a character that kept on recurring throughout the series. So – I guess Corey's not our friend. You told us last week that he has already blocked us because I guess uh, our Scott Schwartz interview might not have yeah. gone over too well with him. Which, yeah, and I ordered a, I ordered a very cool patch for the show that uh, I'll be displaying uh, in the future here when I when I receive it. Oh boy, <laughs> you're you are stirring the pot with Corey Feldman. <laughs> but yeah. I like Corey, man. Corey, I like Corey's. <laughs> I think the internet cut out right as you cursed. It was like, it was like the internet's way of uh, censoring you. That was amazing. <laughs> when you listen back, see if that happened. Because I swear to God that I think it just happened. I think it was just the internet saying, "Do not hurt my Corey Feldman. Do not say bad things about my Corey Feldman." I, it, you know, I I listened to Scott's story. I was like, man, I I hope this ain't true. Even though I believed every every word of it, you know, because I was just like, I hope Corey's you know, kind of a cool guy. I hope he's not really doing this stuff because I really like him in Goonies. I really like him in Friday the 13th and not final chapter. That's bullshit. It'll never be the final chapter because it makes too much money. Uh, what else was he in? He was a Gremlins. Like, I'm a big Corey Feldman fan from the 80s. He was in a ton of stuff, man. So, you, wait, going back to the the movie, the the final chapter, the bullshit final chapter, you said that his character lived, his character has continued on in other movies, but not him? Yep. They get other- to... Yeah, all the way up to part six. It's a different guy, you know, a different actor comes in and accidentally brings Jason back to life. So wait, it, he started, he was like a character from the very beginning or he started at number six and then went from there? 
No, he started on uh, the final chapter, but not the final chapter. It's bullshit because it's not going to be the final chapter. <laughs> Is that joke where he did yet? No. <laughs> Which was, I think, uh, I guess that was three. I guess final chapter was three. No, I don't think I have that right. I think it was four. Then part five was the fake Jason. And then part six was the, the dead bury Jason that they brought back to life. And then after part six, he's been a zombie ever since. Okay. So I think I got that right. Well, here's another, here's the last news segment. And if this is going on too long and boring, you can edit the shit out of it. I have one more, wait, I have one more celebrity though that you skimmed over that was started, it got to start in uh, horror movies. Give me a hint. One from my list. Uh, he was in a movie called uh, Return to Horror High. George Clooney. <laughs> yeah, buddy. Wow, that's a good one. Yeah, George Clooney. Wow. He was also in, I'm not sure how early in his career it was, but what was uh, the the vampire? Uh, Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn. Was that, yep. that was fairly early in his career too, right? It's early in his, in his movie career. He was yeah. still doing ER and, you know, he's, maybe he was getting out of ER and moving to, to film. That's a Robert Rodriguez movie. Yeah, Quentin Tarantino, right? He had something to do with that. Yeah, I don't know how much he was behind the scenes, but he was definitely a character. Yeah. He tends to like to tinker with things even when he's only, you know, got a small sort of association with it. Mm-hmm. I, I love that about Hollywood. I love when like guest artists come in. It's just like the music that we love, you know, like how Eric Clapton was actually in, you know, some of the Beatles songs was in uh, while my guitar gently weeps. Like Tina Turner was in a couple Frank Zappa songs early on. Yep. And you just don't really know it. So I kind of like when Hollywood works that way. Yeah. Sam Raimi's big with that with uh, Bruce Campbell. I've read, uh, two or three of Bruce's books and they call it the Shemp shemping mm-hmm. where they have like Bruce Campbell just comes in and he'll actually play like multiple roles in that, in one movie, like just in the background somewhere where you won't even like know that it's him, you know, but he's in like all of the movies. That's great. Yeah. I don't, I don't know if you're a superhero fan, the Spider-Man trilogy that happened that was in two thousands. Okay. I, I'm, I'm a DC guy. So I, I know of the of the Spider-Man movies and stuff. I've never watched them. There was a cameo in each movie by uh, by um, uh, Bruce 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 Campbell. Yeah, so like he had a different role in each movie. So the rumor I heard, I don't know if it's true, was they were going to make a part four, but part three had bad reviews. You know, there was a little bit too much friction behind the scenes. Uh, I don't think it made as much money, so it just kind of died. But apparently part four was supposed to start with Mysterio. Mysterio is a character who was just introduced in the last Marvel Cinematic Universe Spider-Man movie, but he was supposed to appear like maybe in the beginning of part four, and we're going to unmask him, like Scooby-Doo style, and it was going to be Bruce Campbell. Like, (laughs) I've been following you for three movies, (laughs) and you finally caught me. I'm Mysterio. Like, that's damn funny. That would have been a great idea. Well, I just heard there's a rumor now that he's going to be in the new Mr. Sh- uh, yeah, Mr. Doctor Strange movie. He's going to be in it. Well, yeah. it, because Sam Raimi might be directing it. Right. Yep. Yeah. I, I don't know if that, I think that is a, a done deal. Every, who knows anymore with the quarantine stuff, anything can right. change, especially with Marvel. I mean, Marvel with the Marvel Cinematic Universe, it's like, it's their game. You got to really play within their rules. If you don't, then, you know, you end up kind of working your way out of the, out of the franchise. So, yeah, I mean, if, if Sam gets along well with the Marvel people, I can't wait to see what it's, what, what the next uh, Dr. Strange is going to be. Cause they said they want it to be a little bit more of a horror movie. Oh, really? Yeah. So, oh, wow. um, I mean, a yeah, Disney well, he horror did. movie, who knows how horror, horrible, horrific it's going to be, but right. 
Well, he like you said, he did. I mean, he did three Marvel movies before the Spider-Man series. The original that was the original Spider-Man series, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. the original movie. I mean that. That's not. Is that in the? See, I don't know. I'm not sh- sure how Marvel works. Is that in the same universe as all the stuff that's going on now, with like the the Avengers and like was that movie in the same? Yeah. Yeah. No, you're talking about the Sam Raimi ones. Yeah, yeah. No, it, everything. That's all different, right? Everything yeah. changed since then. There's been like four. How many different Spider-Man reboots? There's been. I mean, there. We had some stuff in the '70s. We don't talk about that. <laughs> um, but then, you know, they had the Sam Raimi one that ran three movies. Then you had, they called it the amazing Spider-Man instead of just Spider-Man. Um, forget who directed that. He, he would, I think we made like teen drama movies before he got the role. Uh, his name is escaping me, but it had um, Andrew Garfield played Spider-Man for two movies in his world, in, in this guy's little universe. And they were going to try to turn it into a bigger thing because that was, just getting hot. Like if we can start creating, can you hear my dogs barking? Yeah, not too bad though. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to yell at them. Shut the fuck <laughs> They are totally throwing me off. Anyway, so no, there were three movies made by Sam Raimi. Uh, then there were two movies made by this guy whose name I can't remember. It's probably being blocked out uh, intentionally because they weren't very good movies, but they were going to try to set up their own big franchise. So that died. And then Iron Man came out. Then Iron Man was followed by the Incredible Hulk. And what they were doing is they were basically taking these leftover characters. And this is Marvel proper, Marvel, the, the movie division. They were taking the characters that they still had the rights to. And they, that's why Ant-Man is, is out there. Like These are like minor characters compared to you know x-men or compared to like fantastic four compared to spider-man who they didn't have the rights for so now disney went and bought fox so in the next couple years you're going to start seeing those characters you didn't see before showing up in marvel movies so the fantastic four all the x-men it's all going to be a giant reboot deadpool who you know that's been doing really well is now in the world with spider-man and iron man and all those characters so even though they're all in the marvel universe they were owned by different companies yeah so they couldn't merge them all together and stuff until now, right? No, they couldn't. That's and crazy. It's weird to to believe or or to think rather, but uh, we all know it to be true. Like Marvel had a lot of money problems, so to sort of get some cash back in the business, they sold the prop, they sold the rights of the characters off to different people. We ought to talk about the Fantastic Four movie that was made years ago oh this is gonna be we'll definitely cover the fantastic four movie because we're talking about roger corman today but this is an example of what happens in hollywood so you know marvel sold the fantastic four to this group and this group has x years to make a marvel movie or the rights default back to marvel so if you want to keep the 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 name if you want to keep the fantastic four you've got to make a movie so they basically this company who i can't remember who it was i'd have to do some research on it basically said hey let's hire roger corman to make a movie so that we don't have to give the fantastic four back because we're not ready yet at some point we want to make a proper fantastic four movie so they built a bullshit movie except they never told the actors it was a bullshit movie (laughs) we'll definitely do a show is this this. the original the original uh, fantastic four original from like 1980 wow yeah i definitely want to see that yeah all right i'm putting that one on the list we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna do a breakdown of that <laughs> so i'm a, a pretty big fan of all things star wars they got the mandalorian show on disney plus 
then, but it's a good show. It's a really, really good show. And it basically, it's a, it's about a group of characters. It's almost like this religion in the Star Wars universe. And these, uh, these Mandalorians, they look like Boba Fett. You've heard of Boba Fett. I've heard, heard of Boba of- Fett. <laughs> well, Boba Fett died in Return of the Jedi. He got, you know, scarfed down by a giant hole in the, in the sand with teeth. And later it had a little shop of horrors type of monsters jumping out of it. So, you know, Boba Fett is dead. But the news is now that Boba Fett's going to appear in The Mandalorian. So it sounds like he wasn't dead. We saw a scene in The Mandalorian where somebody mysterious walked up and you saw their feet right next to a dead character. And you're like, oh, is that Boba Fett? That could be a tease. At one point, we might see Boba Fett walk through the background. So we kind of, it's not a big surprise. But my thought is, maybe it's a little bit too much fan service. Like if you're going to go back to make money and, and bring all these guys back to life, that's a little dangerous. I don't know. Like people could revolt. People love Boba Fett and they like, you know, so I think there's going to be people that are like, I liked his story arc and the way it went. I don't think you need to keep bringing it up and making money on it. But Star Wars has a habit of doing that. You're not a big fan of Star Wars, but you probably know Darth Maul, right? You've seen the guy with the dual sure. lightsaber and the red yep. face, you know, and he got his body cut in half. And then they started to make Disney cartoons that were part of canon, and he came back to life, but with, like, robot feet. I'm like, oh, I think you're, you're, you're taking a liberty here. You, you got to be a little careful. So I worry a little about, uh, about the Star Wars future for, like, old fans like me because I just think, you know, they're going to keep on trying to make money, and I just, I'm afraid that they're going to push a little too hard and bring characters back that ought to stay dead. I worry about the same thing with, uh, with Marvel, too. You, have, you haven't seen Endgame, but Tony Stark, spoilers, dies. But how long is Tony Stark really going to be dead until they say, hey, you know, Tony Stark or Robert Downey Jr. made the most money. We ought to bring him back. But he's dead. Revive him. How? Make some shit up. Like at some point, (laughs) it'll start to get sloppy. So I'm a little worried about this with uh, Star Wars. So explain to me, you said in the cartoon, they brought him back to life with robot legs. How does that work? Do they? uh, Trying to think of it. Like, are the stories intertwined? with the cartoons and the, the actual movies? Yeah, all those cartoons that are coming out now are part of canon. Um, what, for, explain that to me, what canon and what that... For Star Wars, there's canon. Canon is just, this is part of the entire universe. This is part of the, the whole text, right? They used to have all these Star Wars books that at some point a couple of years ago, Lucasfilm came out or Disney or whoever it was and said, okay, all of these stories, we're putting them under the legends category. They're not real. They didn't happen in the timeline. They're legends. They're equivalent to fan fiction. But these stories are part of canon. So, you know, Luke Skywalker, if you, if you read here that he did this, he really did it. You know, in the cartoon where they bring back Darth Maul, he's really back to life in the big picture. Okay. It makes so, sense. Yeah. So that's what, that's what canon is. So, so canon is like like when they say the Marvel universe, like canon is like that is their Star Wars universe. Yep. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So if they make like a, a silly little Lego animated Star Wars feature, which I guess they made, I think they made a cartoon show. That's not canon. So they can do whatever they want. It's not real. It doesn't really impact. Okay. You know the the main storyline and the main universe. So they have a game out. It's called Battlefront 2. Um, I think it's made by the guys that make Battlefield. We ought to hook up and play one of those games. All right. Um, so there's a campaign story in there. There's multiplayer, but there's also a campaign story. 
And in that story, they had a, a, an actor named, I, I'm going to say it wrong, Tamara Morrison, Tamora Morrison. But he's the guy that played the clones in the, the Clone Wars movie, right? So they have him playing the voice of, of Boba Fett in the game. So they've always been teasing that he might come back and play Boba Fett. And he's actually the actor that they said is coming back to play Boba Fett. So if you ever see the Aquaman movie? Yes. Remember the father that took uh, over? Uh, uh, parenting guardianship of Aquaman on land on land. Yeah. Yeah. So he's going to be the new Boba Fett. Oh, okay. Kind of a cool casting. He's a bit older than, you know, he was in those original prequel movies, but you know, yeah. I, I oh, so little... he was, so he was actually in the, the prequel movies also. Yep. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. He was like duplicate. He was like photocopied a bunch of times because he was what everybody looked like. Now, being that you're a Star Wars fan, and I, I know, I've seen the first movie, the original, very first one. This is incredible. Uh, I know, None of this I know. could be true. <laughs> it's true, brother. How do you feel about the prequels? I know, a lot of, I know they get a lot of flack from a lot of uh, Star Wars fans. There's, the tone and everything about them is so different from the original movies. Uh, George Lucas, I think he's like, you know what, I want to create a broader universe. I want to create something with a little bit more... Uh, he put a lot of like political boundaries in place, like, you know, political boundaries, like p- political parameters, I guess. So it ended up being very much a political movie and a lot going on. And that was so different from the first three movies. That was like a very simple, just a, like a Western almost, like you have a beginning and an end. And there's really not a lot of complication in between it, in between the movies or in between the scenes. This one, these first three movies were pretty complicated and I didn't love them. Uh, they were filmed in a way that everything was digital because George Lucas was really into uh, CGI effects. And I think there's definitely something lost when you're just completely using CGI and no practical effects. I will say I think the, the, the Marvel Cinematic Universe has probably done the best job I've ever seen of mixing the two. But there's still times where I look at that last endgame and go... Holy shit! Why? Why does that guy look that way? That's really that's bad special effects, you know. There's there's still too much CGI in movies that that pull me out of the movie. With Star Wars, somehow growing up on it with it being cheap, like you know it was compared to the way that the movies are these days, something just seems a little bit more realistic about it. It's the same thing watching old horror movies too that are using practical effects versus special effects. You know, I like the practical effects. I just think they look a lot more real and it's a mm-hmm. lot more, I, I can get pulled into that world a little bit more than seeing something going, holy shit, like Aquaman, that ending of Aquaman, it was just like, it was like four hours of special effects. <laughs> it sure felt that way. Like, you know, you don't have to ex- just dump, just knock us over with CGI. Right. I, I, it pulls me right out of the movie, but somehow Endgame worked, but the, the original, uh, trilogy too much too much special effects for my tastes okay so if someone was to go back and and say they want to watch how many movies are there now first in the skywalker in the, franchise yeah and like the total total i don't know well the ones that relate to darth vader and luke skywalker there's uh nine nine and then there's nine yeah Jesus. so the, the prequels the three that just came out and then the original three from the 80s holy shit and then they made a – see, it's not even a true statement because then they made a solo movie. So I guess he fits into the whole thing. So maybe that we count that as 10. Wow. Uh, they made uh, Rogue One, which is about stealing the plans for the Death Star, which is what they had to fight in the first Star Wars. So, mm-hmm. so I guess technically it's 11. Holy shit. That are in the Skywalker saga. Yeah. So 
those 11 movies, someone that, that hasn't seen them, I've only ever seen the first one. Would I start at that first one or would you, would you start at the prequels and then just go forward from there? I hear people ask this question all the time somehow because it's, it's getting to the point where a lot of my friends have kids and they're like, should I show them, you know, the way we grew up on it or should I show them the chronological order? I don't know, man. I don't know the answer. I, I want everyone to experience the joy of the first three movies, the disappointment of the next three movies. <laughs> and then the still on the fence about the last three movies for you, I don't. I don't know, man. Uh, maybe, maybe seem chronologically and tell me if you enjoyed it. I mean, I probably You'll not going to study. do that. <laughs> I have so much other stuff to watch. I don't think I can find time for nine star or ten other Star Wars movies that I had never had interest in to begin with. <laughs> you might find out you like them. You're in quarantine. Well, you got nothing but free time. You're doing twenty have- podcasts a day. <laughs> I got too much to do. I have too many podcasts to record. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Well, when we can get out of our houses again, I'm going to have a Star Wars party. It's just going to be me and you. I'm going to talk through every damn part of it. (laughs) Shut the fuck up. Oh, okay. So, so this is, this is Lando Calrissian and this, he lives on the cloud. Shut up. I can watch and see who he is. See, no, I would rather, I would probably rather have you just explain the movies to me than, than watch them. <laughs> That's why you're destined for podcasts. <laughs> Can you just break it down into like a half an hour? I probably could. Because <laughs> the, the, the plot lines really aren't that complex until you get to the first three. Then I got to tell you about the Senate and all the, the political oh, and you're going to be like, oh my God, this sounds like real life. Fuck this. Yeah. Yeah, fuck the tri- first trilogy. Uh, hey, man, why don't we talk about, why don't we move this thing along? I have another segment idea called, what are you consuming? So the thought here is, I'm curious, what have you been into lately that I don't know about? And I'll tell you something that I've been into lately that you don't know about. Okay. Whips and chains. Uh, I'm jumping ahead. Go ahead. You, why don't you tell me first, what have you been into lately? You want me to start? You can start if you have something. All right. Ready? Yeah, I have something. I, uh, I've been watching. Uh, I know we talked about this before. I've been watching the new wrestling league. It's called uh, AEW, All Elite Wrestling. And uh, it was founded by Tony Khan. His dad owns the Jacksonville Jaguars. They own another soccer team over in England somewhere. I forget the name of it. They're big names. Like they got uh, Chris Jericho from uh, over from. He was their first like major signee from the WWF. Sure, yeah. Cody Rhodes. Do you remember Dusty Rhodes from? Yeah, uh, yeah. It's Dust. It's his son Cody and another son uh, Dustin Rhodes. They're in it together. Okay. And uh, it's on every Wednesday night. They got a. They have a t uh, a TV deal with TNT. It's the first time wrestling's been on TNT in twenty years. They got a four year contract like right off the bat. Well, actually it was a one year contract and then halfway into their first year, they got signed on for another three years. So I'm not a big wrestling fan, but I remember TNT, right? Turner created a, did he create ECW? WCW. He, WCW. he actually, yeah. He, see, there was back in the eighties, there was a territory system where, uh, it was like the mid South. Um, I don't know all the territories there. There was like different territories around the country where, you know, Andre the Giant would go to this territory and wrestle for them on all of their different shows for like four months, three months, you know, around the 
around the uh, their area of the country. And then he'd go on to another territory, like up in the Northwest and work at, work in that, those shows for like four or five months, you know? And then Vince McMahon bought everything. He started buying up all the superstars. He started like just gobbling everyone up. So these territories just started falling by the wayside because they weren't getting these major big stars anymore, like Hulk Hogan, Andre the Giant, Big John Stud. You know what I mean? So Vince McMahon just the, all these all these small little territories just started closing up because Vince McMahon took over. They got television rights or television deals and all that and started broadcasting on cable. And then uh, one of the territories, it was the NWA, I think. The NWA? Yeah. Yep. You sure it's the NWA? Positive, yeah. Not a copyright uh, or trademark infringement there? No. Hmm. No, nor- uh, I think it's the Northern Wrestling Alliance. Um, which is now owned by uh, Billy Corgan from the Smashing Pumpkins. I, I knew he was a big wrestling fan. Yeah, he actually. He a- yeah, he actually bought all the rights now to uh, NWA, and it's on every Tuesday on YouTube. Oh has, wow! Uh, yeah, and it's like he's going like he's even he's going back to those territory days, like the '80s style of wrestling, where it's basic wrestling in a studio uh, with a small audience. I mean, it's pretty neat what, it, what he's doing. He's taking it back to the 80s. I remember being young, maybe 10, 11 or 12, and if you stayed up late enough, there was a wrestling series that had like King Kong Bundy, and it seemed like it was a second series. It was kind of like the GoBots to the Transformers. There was this to what was exploding with WWF, but I never really thought there was a bunch of different circuits and somebody well, I mean was Vince basically plucking people out or was he buying the circuits no he was bankrupting the circuits somehow he was he was plucking people that he wanted basically they were the major stars of those territories so once they left you know they didn't really have a lot of they they weren't bringing in the crowds and you know back then it, it was crazy if Hulk Hogan was on on your card you could sell out an arena just because his name was on your card. Yeah, they were big. You know? I mean, it, it was crazy back then. Wrestling was insane back then. Do you remember um, the, the show was on Netflix, the Glow show? Oh, yeah, sure, yeah. Do you remember the actual airing of those? Uh, I, I don't remember that. No, I don't remember that, but I've seen that show, that. yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so you have a history in wrestling that I'm not completely clear on. And then as you were writing your bio, you're like ex-professional wrestler. I'm like, the hell? I didn't know anything about <laughs> what, what did you do? Yeah, so uh, right out of high school, uh, that guy I mentioned earlier, Danny Rose, that, that had the, uh, the Kevin Bacon story. Yeah. He went to my high school, and I played football. And he graduated, I think, maybe four or five years ahead of me. And he came back after he was in the Army. We were at a practice one day, and he came back, and he was talking to uh, – our head coach, John Yoakum, and got to talking to everybody and find out who the hell he was, you know, why he was there and whatever, and found out that he was a pro wrestler and started kind of following his career, uh, became friends with him, found out I was going to train locally here in Reading and uh, with a guy named Jimmy Dio. He was like one of the known guys around here as far as like local independent wrestlers. Like after the territories died down and Vince McMahon bought everything up, then now now we have what's called independent wrestling, where it's not so much territories. Like there's there's at least let's say five independent wrestling companies in our area now. 
You know what I mean? So it's not just one little company taking over a whole territory. Mm. <clears throat> so I found out that Jimmy Dio was the shits. He, he wasn't any good. I, I went to, to a couple of his matches. He, he basically did a clothesline and punched. He, he didn't really do many moves, you know? So to be trained by someone that the, the, they don't know, you know, he, he just wasn't any good. You know, I wasn't a fan of his, you know? You do know it's not real. Sure, Bill, okay. I do know that, and especially after I've trained, but it's... But how it's, could it not be good? You, because the script he was given wasn't good, or are you given certain freedoms to improv, and he wasn't good at improvisation because he didn't have the moves down? Is that what you mean? I think that's what I mean, yeah. He, he just does, he didn't have like a lot of moves. Like His basic moves like were a punch, a clothesline, just basic, basic shit, you know what I mean? I could do that. Yeah, exactly. But he didn't even make it look good. Do you know what I mean? Of course, it's not real, but you still have to make it look believable. Right. It's an art, you know, it's an art form. It's like acting, you know, you have to make it look. And and a lot of these older, older wrestlers back in the eighties and stuff, if you look back at those matches, they, they, they were punching each other. They were, they were what we call stiff in the business. Like they were beating the shit out of each other. Yeah. There's no fake. And like you jump, from the the top rope and maybe they got springs on the mat or whatever like that was an elbow to the face you know? yeah 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 so um then I, I found out about this danny rose i became friends with him another friend of mine uh kelly murphy uh he's passed away now um we went to his house and uh found out these uh, about this training center up in allentown with uh former ecw wrestlers called bad crew it was jake and paul and uh, I, I think it was three thousand bucks, maybe. I went, paid. Well, actually, my dad paid for it, uh, three thousand bucks to for me to go to this wrestling school. And uh, I went every Tuesday and Thursday up to Allentown and trained for about a year. I'd say I had about maybe twenty five matches before I just gave it up. You know, I was getting the the shit kicked. I broke my elbow. I think twice I was getting paid maybe like 20, 25 bucks a match, you know, just see, I talked to one of my trainers on, on my other podcast, uh, Paulie. He said he, he doesn't understand why I never pursued it. Like why I never, like I only ever worked for them. You know, like I said, there's, there's all these other different independent uh, wrestling companies out. Uh, he says that, you know, he thinks I really could have made it if I would have uh, pursued it a little more, but, I'm not really comfortable around a lot of new people. And it was just like, I felt I was so comfortable with the guys that I trained with and with their promotion, you know? So uh, I did work for a couple other companies here and there, but it was all guys that I, that I was comfortable with that I knew like Darren Wise ran his own uh, promotion down in New York and I uh, worked for them worked for work for him a couple of times. But uh, yeah, I mean, I met a lot of awesome people, a lot of old, old wrestlers that I grew up watching like Bob Backlund. Uh, the Bushwhackers, King Kong Bundy, you know, Chris. Chris who? Chris, that's, that was King Kong Bundy's name, Chris. Oh, oh <laughs> yeah. you guys were like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess uh, you don't go, hey, what's up, King Kong? <laughs> <laughs> Kamala, remember Kamala? Kamala, I don't remember He was like the Kamala. Ugandan giant. He used to come out and <laughs> bang on his chest and stuff. Oh, I don't remember him. Yeah. All right, let's go. Let's go toe to toe on eighties wrestlers. Let's see who can remember the most. And you're absolutely going to kick my ass. So I'm going to start with the easy one: Hulk Hogan. 
Jake the Snake Roberts. Andre the Giant. Tito Santana. Coco Beware. Going deep. Iron, <laughs> Iron Sheik. Uh, Sergeant Slaughter. Rick Martell. Uh, Roddy, Roddy, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Is it Roddy, uh, Roddy, Rowdy, 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 Rowdy? Rowdy, Rowdy, Roddy Piper. Okay. Nikita Koloff. Rowdy, Roddy Piper is about as hard to say as yet another <laughs> pop culture podcast. <laughs> Why did we pick a name for this thing that's like impossible to say? Hey, I got a good idea. Let's, let's, let's get into the audio arts and, and, and say shit we, we can't actually pronounce and say without choking and stammering. All right, whose turn is it? Uh, I think it's your turn. All right, 80s, because I, I did follow the 90s a little. Like, is um, the, the Ultimate Weapon Warrior, the Ultimate Warrior, like, that's 90s. That's the next. No, he was in 80s. He was? Yeah, for sure. All right, then I'll use him. All right. Uh, let's go with uh, Dino Bravo. I've never heard of Dino Bravo. Georgie Animal Steel. Uh, Bad News Brown. Who the fuck? Uh, Bam Bam Bigelow. Did we say King Kong Bundy yet? Uh, did he make it into the W? Well, he was in eighties. I yeah, guess eighties. WWF. Yeah, he was in WrestleMania. Uh, WrestleMania one. Did he win? No, he lost the Hulk Hogan. Oh, uh, all right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I could probably go on with this for uh, hours. I have been recently. Also, what I've been consuming is nineteen eighty eight prime time wrestling. <laughs> all right, on we the W watch. on the WWE Network. <laughs> I could get into watching some of that again. <laughs> that was pretty good. Macho Man and like, like that, that sort of moment where all these like side characters started stepping in. Like everybody had an entourage and then they would yeah. get all upset and jump into the ring. Oh, that ship. Because I was believing every piece of it. I thought it was all chaos. It's and crazy. It. It's crazy. Now that I'm going back and watching it now that I'm older and I like I do the research as I'm watching it. Like uh, 88 primetime wrestling, Jake, the snake Roberts. There's an angle with him and Rick rude where Rick rude is constantly wearing tights with Jake, the snake Roberts wife on him on, a, on the tights. And she's in the crowd and like, and, but Rick rude doesn't know that it's that it hit. This is the first meeting, you know, she's in the crowd and Rick rude. He's this stud, you know, ravishing Rick rude. Um, he always takes his robe off. He's got the six pack, you know, well, he goes out to the crowd and there's this beautiful woman in the crowd and he takes off the robe and he's doing the whole body thing, you know, and here it's Jake, the snake, Robert's wife. Right. <laughs> and going back now and researching it, this is the first time that someone's wife was like brought into the scene on, on WWF, like television. Yeah. And the reason for it was because Jake Roberts had just gotten out of rehab and Vince wanted his wife to go on the road with him to keep him in line. And then she got it like she got brought into the angle like Brilliant. because of it. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Or into the storyline. Yeah. Are there times, do you ever hear stories about where uh, somebody didn't follow the script? Like, you know, million dollar man was supposed to lose, but they screwed up and he accidentally like pinned somebody cause he forgot the script or, you know, like, is there ever, behind the scenes drama or do they pretty much follow their their scripts to the T? Well, there's a there's a big fa- there's a famous one. It's called the Montreal Screwjob. Uh it was with uh, Bret Hart, Shawn Michaels and uh Earl Hebner was the referee and uh and then Vince McMahon of course owns the WWF. Well, Bret Hart his contract was up. He was supposed to drop the title to I might have this wrong. It's been a long time since I... I get it right. You'll get sued. <laughs> you, you know they're listening. 
It's been a long time since I, I've had to remember this story. Bret Hart's contract was up and he was going to WCW. So he was supposed to lose the title to Shawn Michaels. He didn't want to do that. He wanted to go out his own way. Whatever, you know, it's, he's, been, he's been around for a long fucking time. He was the champion for a long time. He brought a lot of money to the company. Well, Shawn Michaels put Bret Hart in Bret Hart's own finishing move. Vince McMahon was at the ringside, and he told Earl Hebner to ring the bell. Bret Hart never gave up, never tapped out, and they rang the bell. And it's all on television. Like, it was all, all recorded. Bret Hart, um, he, he throws a fucking fit, and he spits in Vince McMahon's face, like, on television. And he goes like this on the screen and writes WCW on, on WWF television. Did, when you were doing wrestling, like, did you get scripts? Did someone say, okay, you're going to be the, the mush here, wear these pink hot pants in, you know, a boa? Or, like, how did you get to design your – or did you get to design your character and your storyline? They have they, – they, the wrestlers know who's going to win and who's going to lose, of course. Uh, in WWF, there's a script. They have writers. They're told to throw a punch here, throw a punch there, throw, do this, do this move, do that, kick, kick this, you know. Everything goes through Vince McMahon in WWF. There's a writer's room. It's just like, you know, any, any television production. There's writers, and you're told, like, the day before television what you're you, – you know, the, the wrestlers in WWF have a very small amount of time to learn what they're supposed to do on television – that night you know in aew they're giving it back to the wrestlers they have like tony khan the guy that that owns the company he's been a wrestling fan since he's been a little kid and i listened to a couple podcasts that he's been on he's actually been writing wrestling scripts like since the 80s like making up his own stuff so he has like an idea of what he wants to do for the companies but the wrestlers now are back to calling their own matches. You know, they know the final outcome, but what happens in between is all between you and the other person. And it's the same with when I wrestled independently around here. They give you the final outcome. You know who's going to win and who's going to lose. You work that match out with the guy that you're wrestling before the show or sometimes like uh, even like with uh, bigger names like my friend Dan, he was a, a pretty popular champion around our area. He's wrestled guys where they'll, they'll just go out and, you know, they, they, they don't talk about anything before the show, like before the show starts. Like you just, you work it out in the ring. It's not choreographed at all. You don't say like, all right, I'll hit you three times and you do two, and then I'll do a suplex. And then you do, it's all completely felt out on the, on the mat. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they, they're, you go over, they call them spots. They go over specific spots in the back, you know, before the match starts. But now a lot of it's a lot of it is on the fly. And then like, uh, especially I talked to a guy that that did a lot of wrestling over in Japan, where there's that language barrier, where a lot of times they don't have translators. So it, it is all on the fly in the ring with someone that you don't you don't even you can't even understand. Some of those Japanese matches with. Uh, American workers are some of the best wrestling that I've ever seen. Yeah. How about that, like, backyard wrestling? Is that still a thing? I'm not sure if that's so much a thing uh, now anymore, but 
for sure when i when i was first getting started like in high school me and my buddies i have to dig out some of the vhs tapes but uh we we had like our own federation and everything like i was um my name in that in the backyard wrestling was rich lather rich lather yeah. Like when you soap yourself up in the shower and yeah. you develop a rich lather. Yeah, exactly. How did you come up with that name? I was uh, I was in the shower and I was looking at the shampoo bottle and it said rich lather and I was like, ding. <laughs> <laughs> so that was that was my backyard wrestling name before I got into the pro wrestling. Uh, my pro wrestling name was Zach Lee, and then when I'd get in the ring. The announcer would go, uh, introducing, um, I was from Stonersville, Pennsylvania, which is a real place. Yeah, it's right down the street from me. Yeah, so the, the announcer would go, introducing from Stonersville, Pennsylvania, Zach Lee. And I would grab the microphone and I played a stoner, like hippie character. And I would go, What hey, a man. stretch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I would go, hey, man, it's Z-A-A-C. Double K L double E. Exactly. <laughs> well done. <laughs> when I first met you, you were in Grateful Dead clothes. And, you know, I was like, that is the scariest hippie I think I've ever met in my life. Like, I do not want to piss him <laughs> off. And now I know why. Because you're really a professional wrestler. Yeah, buddy. So that's my, uh, that's my pro wrestling story. Um, yeah, but this AEW... Uh, what I've been consuming back to that. Uh, it's it's like back to the old, old wrestlings. You know, they're bringing uh, cool storylines back. They have a small roster. It's not like a thousand guys that you're trying to keep up, you know, the storyline with. And right now during this uh, pandemic time, during the lockdown, I mean, they've been wrestling in empty arenas and doing the best that they can. It's been tough, but they do have cra- they do have like the other wrestlers that are on the show like uh, surrounding the ring like in the first row trying you know trying to do the best they can WWF they also run the same night Wednesday nights and I've glanced at their shows occasionally and they're not the same they don't have anyone in the crowd and it's just like dead silence and it's it's rough that's got to uh, be weird it, that yeah. can't be you know good for them it, you know it, I don't know if you watch Saturday night live they're trying to do their their show at home. And when you don't hear the laughter, it, it just, the energy is just not in the skits. Yeah. So I can only imagine how wrestlers are doing it without an audience. Yeah. The only thing I can say about the wrestling is, uh, like I said, when I was wrestling, like in Reading, Pennsylvania or Hamburg, you know, it might've been in front of like 10 people, you know, 15 people, 20 people. So these wrestlers going back, you know, when they, when they, when they go back to their beginnings, their roots, you know, it's, it's got, it's just the same feeling as then, you know, they're just, they're getting paid, you know, they're, uh, they're trying to do the best that they can and, and they're, they're doing a good job of it. So yeah, it's on uh, Wednesday nights on TNT at eight o'clock. How do we watch the, uh, the eighties WWF? What was that on? Uh, that's on the WWE network. It's like, uh, I think 10 bucks a month and it, it has, Everything back from, I mean, Vince McMahon, like I said, he bought all those guys from the territory system. Well, now he's gobbling up all of their archives. You know, he's yeah. got just tons of tons of shit from like, you know, everything from, I'd say, the 60s till now. 
And that's the only reason I have it. I don't watch any new WWF at all. I, I'm not a fan of it. I'm not a fan. Of, I, I stopped watching it in the uh, late 90s. I'm just not a fan of the whole scripted, like, soap opera thing. You know, it's it, it got too soap opera, soap opery. Yeah. You know, uh, AEW is doing a really nice job with, uh, with uh, what they're doing. They're, yeah, they're going back to the roots of just, you know, wrestling and yeah. good old wrestling entertainment and not the character. Yeah. And I mentioned, uh, and I mentioned, uh, Dusty Rhodes, you know, his son is one of the, he's the president of the company, Cody Rhodes. Dusty got a lot of flack back in the day in the early eighties when he, he was running a company. Uh, I can't remember the name of it now, but he was doing the bookings, um, the promotions, Dusty ran everything while well, he was also the champion all the time because he was the booker. And he got a lot of flack for that, you know. Cody now has has had several like opportunities to write himself in as the champion and he he loses like in all the big matches. So it's like it's really cool. Dude, he took I'll send this to you. It's it's actually really like kind of hard to watch. He took 10 belt lashes on live television to get to the next step of like this like he had 3 he had he had to do like three things in order to fight this one guy, and like the belt lashes was like the third thing, and it is insane. I you sure say, you're watching wrestling, not BDSM porn, dude? dude? Cody Rhodes loves the wrestling business, man. He took twelve, or I'm sorry, he took ten solid hard belt whips to the back and chest, all for the love of wrestling. He it's loves crazy. it more than I ever will. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> crazy, man. Yeah, I mean, it was when I was a kid, it was it was the universe. And I got to say that when I found out it was fake, which is why I know, you know, they were trying to keep the mystique. Like, obviously, the whole time Vince McMahon's like, yeah, they clearly know it's fake, but we're not going to say it. For a long time, they didn't reveal it. And I remember having an argument with my next-door neighbor's dad, you know? And I'm 10, and he's, you know, 50. And he's like, oh, no, man, it's real. It's real. I've seen real blood. And, like, he kind of kept me I'm like maybe it is real maybe but as soon as i found out it wasn't it, it was for me it was like ah this is over i guess you know it's like finding out about santa or the tooth fairy it just sort right. of the the shine went away from it so yeah i got <laughs> out of it in about the end of the 80s talking about what you're talking about with people believing it's real uh there's another episode or there's another series on uh, vice channel uh that i i rec- highly recommend for anyone to watch it's called dark side of the ring and it tells like these behind the scenes stories of wrestling that like you've never heard before. Uh, the first season they actually did uh, an episode on that Montreal screw job, but this season they did one on, uh, you've heard of the reporter, John Stossel. Yeah. He was a, a CNN reporter. Yeah. Back in the eighties, he wanted to expose the wrestling business. He thought he, he was saw it on television. He's like, this, this is fake. It's not real. You know, these guys, if they're getting punched that hard, you know, he wouldn't be getting up, you know, this is all fake, you know, so he wanted to expose it. I think he exposed some major things back in the eighties. I can't exactly remember what they were, but, uh, he was sent and he was allowed backstage at a WWF event in the eighties. And there was a guy, his name was uh, Dr. D David Schultz. And he was the one that Vince told to go out and talk to this John Stossel. And Vince said, do not break kayfabe. Well, kayfabe is the wrestling term of protecting the business. So 
John Stossel asked D- Dr. D, is wrestling fake? And Dr. D smacked him as hard as he could and said, is that fake? Does that feel fake to you? Wow. Knocked him down. And then he got up and he knocked him down again. So Dr. D lasted about another week in WWF and was fired. Just never, he was never hired again to work. Right. So John Stossel was paid an enormous amount of money and Hulk Hogan was the major star at the time. He, him and Mr. T were on the Richard Belzer show to talk about, I believe it was, uh, I guess it was WrestleMania one. Richard Belzer said something to Hulk Hogan about wrestling being fake and Hulk Hogan put him in a, a front face lock choke chokehold. You can watch it on YouTube. Richard Belzer goes completely limp. Hulk Hogan choked him out on television and dropped him on the stage, busted the back of his head open. You could actually hear him snoring on on camera. Like he he was out cold. He wakes up. He pops up and like you can tell like he has no fucking clue what's going on. He's just like, we'll be right back. And he turns around and there's blood. Like you can see the blood on the back of his shirt. Vince McMahon paid it off and Hulk Hogan became Hulk Hogan. You know? Oh, I remember that happening actually. And uh, Dr. D never worked in wrestling again after smacking the shit out of John Stossel. What do you know about the, um, the, the wrestling with, uh, his name, the comedian from the 70s, 80s. Andy Kaufman. Andy Kaufman, yeah. So yeah, you know, I know his history. But I never knew how much of that was scripted with Jerry, how much was just uh, Andy being Andy and, like, you know, Jerry just trying to keep up. So what, what's the backstory there? Has that ever all come scripted. out? All scripted. All scripted. Ah, really? Okay. Yep. It was all scripted, yeah. It actually comes out in, that, uh, in the Man on the Moon movie that they did on uh, Andy Kaufman's life. They talked about it being scripted? Yeah, they talk. Well, they show him and Jerry together. Yeah, like just talking, hanging out. Mm, I don't yeah. remember. Jerry, Jerry actually played himself in that movie. That's right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it was re- all, uh, all a work, as they say, brother. I remember the Hulk Hogan one now that you bring it up. And I remember Belzer popping up. and it, <laughs> Like it was. It was I think crazy. He was yelling. I think he was upset, too. I think he was mad. No, I no, I watched it recently and he just pops up and he's like, we'll be right back. And he, he just turns around and he, he, you know, and, and then he talks about it on another show and he's like, I had no idea where I was or what happened. He's like, I just woke up and cameras and lights were on. And that's just what I said. You know, yeah, well, how about that? Man? <laughs> I've been there. I've been in a room at a party after one of these independent wrestling shows. And I won't mention any names, but there was a guy and we were all in a, in a back room smoking. And someone said to another one of uh, my, my fellow wrestlers, you know, wrestling's bullshit. Wrestling's fake. And he put him in a, in a sleeper hold and he choked him out. I mean, he went down. I'll never forget it. He dropped to his knees, this guy, fell flat on his face, and and he just, it was like, like, out cold. And he woke up, and he's like, what what happened? What happened? And, and this the guy who choked him out, he's like, you just fell over, brother. You just passed out. 
and just it happened. I didn't yeah. touch you. You just have sleep apnea. Yeah. Me and my buddy that were, were there, we were like, let's get the hell out of here now. Like, it was scary, dude. Like, I've never seen anything like that before. Yeah, it sounds like a really mature art form, even though it kind of comes off like, you know, silly and, and just comic bookish. But you yeah, know, advanced, you know, I don't even know what to call it. I mean, is it sport? I, it's sporty, well, but it's not really competitive. Well, do you know the do you know the history of, of how it became sports entertainment? No. How, well, it was it was after that the whole John Stossel and all that stuff, but uh, the Iron Sheik and uh, Hacksaw Jim Duggan they were you know mortal enemies on television. They they wrestled each other. Hacksaw Jim Duggan with the two by four ho, always USA USA USA, and the Iron Sheik, of course, from Iran, and always you know, spitting on the United States flag and bringing out the Iran flag, waving it around. He was right. the, he was the, uh, the bodyguard for the Shah of Iran, you know, uh, in real life. That's, that's no bullshit. Well, they were at uh, hacksaw. Jim Duggan was at, at the airport, uh, renting a car and the Sheik walked up to him and he said, Hey, Jimmy, mind if I ride with you to the, to the show? Sure. Yeah. No problem. Well, they got arrested that day. <laughs> Hacksaw Jim Duggan had a uh, St. Pauli girl beer in his hand. They were smoking joints. Uh, Iron Sheik had cocaine on him. They got arrested, and it made national news that these two enemies got arrested together. Oh, no. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that's when the whole – I'm pretty sure that's when the whole uh, drug policy and all that stuff started with uh, – because Vince, Vince McMahon was not happy about that. You know, they they broke – K-Fab, yeah. They broke the, the golden rule of wrestling. How about that, man? Yeah, I actually it's... really enjoyed hearing about wrestling, so <laughs> I'm starting to think about, like, oh, yeah, remember some of the toys I got, the, the pillowcase I got? I guess I was a bigger fan than I sort of remembered. But, Casey, yeah, we've been talking for a while, so we have to move on. All right. Uh, I was going to bring something up, but I think I'm going to save that for next time, if you don't mind. Sure. But I thought maybe we can go to the, the big thing that we were planning on talking about today because we both invested two hours of our lives or an hour and a half of our lives. It felt like five hours of our lives to do a sort of book report on one of the one of cinema's most forgotten films, Galaxy of Terror. So you checked out Galaxy of Terror? I did. On a scale of one to ten, not how good do you think it was, how much did you enjoy it? I, well, I'm going to give it a seven on uh, enjoyability. I liked it a lot. So did I. I'm probably up there with a seven or eight. I, when that thing started, I was just like, oh, no, what the hell is this going to be? And you see the, the, the New World Pictures logo, you're like, okay, this starts to feel a little familiar to the, the shit that I liked. Uh, so you already know what you're in for. So Galaxy of Terror, I think it was made in 1981. I think it's billed as a, uh, it's a horror movie in space. Right, so this is right after Star Trek stuff. This is right after Star Wars. This is right after Alien. So I think people are like, okay, these are the hot things. Let's let's go ahead and make a movie. Try to capitalize on what people like. It's what they do in Hollywood. That's why you see you know some of the same things reappearing all the time in Hollywood. They sort of get the vibe that people really like volcano movies, and then suddenly there's three volcano movies, or people like Armageddon movies, and then there's five fucking Armageddon movies. So it's no surprise that this thing was made. The, the fun thing about this movie is it's on a $2 million budget. $2 million in 1981. I don't know what that equates to. Okay. I was six. I didn't 
pay that much attention. So sorry, but I could have gone back and checked that out, but I guess I, I was too lazy to do that. But I still feel like it's a small amount of money for uh, a movie. So as I'm watching this thing, all of a sudden I see it. It says a Roger Corman production. I'm like, there we go. Now this all makes sense. Roger Corman. Have you seen many Roger Corman movies? I might have, but I mean, I definitely know his name, but I'm not sure if I've seen, you know, name, name some of his movies, you know. We talked about that Fantastic Four. So okay, that yeah. was Death Race 2000. You know what? I'm just going to pull up IMDb. Death Race 2000. That, that the original, because there's been some remakes of that, right? There was, yeah. No, that was based off of a Roger Corman movie. That movie is just absolutely amazing. It's got a Sylvester Stallone's in that movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That I like that one. Yeah, for sure. I think Robert Carradine. Um, yeah, he's big doing kung fu. Uh, yeah, I guess I don't know if it came before or after kung fu, and then eventually he did Kill Bill, which a lot of people know him from. Roger Corman really likes that kind of like heavy violence and graphic nudity and, and stuff like that. So going back to the budget, you said it has a $2 million budget. Just to compare it, like you said, uh, Alien had just come out. What was the budget for Alien, do you know? I think Alien was like 10 to 15. Oh, wow. Wow, man, I'm just scrolling down on his IMDb. It's, he's associated, he's produced so much stuff. So he's you know directing, he's producing titles such as <laughs> the Mask of the Red Death, The Terror, The Raven. Maybe that's a... Wow, this goes all the way back to the 60s. He's been at it for a while. But the stuff I... You start to know when you're getting into like like uh, 80s territory, when you start to hear things like... Uh, or start to see titles like Naked Vengeance. That sounds like a good one. <laughs> <laughs> the Barbarian Queen. Deathstalker. See, I remember Deathstalker. Ultra Warrior, like... Watchers 2. I don't even know what these are. I haven't seen these, but you get the idea, you know? Was he so, brought in? It sounds like he was might have been brought in to like uh, try and like there's uh, Watchers 2 there. Like he might have been the guy that, oh, we're going to do this sequel here. Maybe we can get Roger Corman in to do it. Yeah, maybe. You know, he costs a, he costs a nickel. Let's go get him. <laughs> so when you see it's a Roger Corman movie, you know two things. You're going to see a lot of gore and you're going to see a lot of uh, breasts. So you know, I'm like, okay, I understand it's a horror movie. So let's get ready. Let's see what kind of gore they have in the 80s. I can, I can handle it. So probably my favorite thing about this movie is the cast. So they got, <laughs> this makes me laugh so much. I don't know why. But they're, they got every single character you can, you can possibly uh, uh, think of for this movie. I'm trying to figure out what angle to come at this on. But, but they got a guy named Ray Walston. Ray Walston was a pretty well-known actor. Like he would, had already done a big show. The show was called um, My Favorite Martian. Like it was a, a well-known show. And he's got a very distinct voice. He was in um, Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Uh, he was the principal, the, right? Yeah. Well, was yeah. he the teacher? No, yeah, yeah. He was the teacher. Yeah. <laughs> when the guy brings in the pizza, <laughs> he's the teacher. So the very first scene, you're introduced to a character. And by the way, spoilers for anybody who hasn't seen Galaxy of Terror. But right away, you're introduced to a character, and you've already seen the credits pass. The first character, uh, his name is the the what was his name? The master, the planet master. Yeah. And well, actually, uh, that's not the first scene, Bill. You're right. It's not. They had one of their setup scenes that I didn't understand what the fuck was going on in that. Right, right, right. That's what I wanted to talk about first because the first scene, we're, I guess we're meant to believe that it's a crashed, spa- crashed uh, spaceship, right? 
Oh my God, you understand this movie. Go on, go on. Yeah, yeah. something was going on. So it was a crashed spaceship and, and they show a guy, he's, he's obviously scared to death and uh, he's just running like f- through the ship you know, with a with a gun, just like kind of looking over his shoulder, and uh, I think he was in like some kind of like ship morgue or something. I'm not really sure what that room he was in, but there was like definitely a dead body there where you could see the guy's brain was out. Right, right. And and then he gets a scene, or he he sees something in the window, which is like he can't really tell what it is, but like that's the end of that scene. Then like he just freaks out and. I'm not sure they don't show him dying in any way. He just kind of like flies up against the wall and the the creature was on the outside of the ship. It was through the window. Yeah, I remember. So the monster, it's like a blob. It looks yeah. like the thing. Yeah. And it's it's like they got a, a you know a laundry machine and it's just yeah, this yeah. weird thing spinning. And then the guy <laughs> right, the innocent guy goes flying against the wall. And I'm like, the fuck just happened? Did that thing use psychic powers to push him against the wall? And that's then the exactly what that was. Yeah, that's I, exactly what that was—a fucking a, a, a washing machine. Oh my god! And I'm like, <laughs> I, I don't know what, what I'm looking at here. I don't know. The monsters in this movie are bizarre as hell. Yeah, just, yeah. So, so then now go now go into where, where we we're introduced to uh, Ray Walston. Okay, so <laughs> the part I like. So all of a sudden, you meet this character. He's playing a weird, like, tabletop arcade game, like the old Pac-Man arcade games that you would sit down and play with somebody across from you. And there's some old lady across from him, and Shadow forgot what she did. I, she was out of the movie after this scene. She, she, she was actually the oracle. She was the one narrating. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you really picked up a lot on this movie. I, I would get stuck on scenes and it would roll in my head. And I was just like, what the fuck is, Dude. and next thing I know, like three, four five scenes went by. I'm still thinking about the last one in this movie. Yeah. When you told me you were like, let's talk about galaxy of terror. I was like, okay, I bought the movie for nine 99. So I'll have it forever. And I opened my notepad up and I took notes on this movie. <laughs> you got hope. <laughs> scrolling I, list of notes all right i stopped i would i would get to a scene i would stop it and i would write that take notes on that scene so i have i have every scene i mean what do you want to know brother i got it all written down here good i have nothing <laughs> written down just a, a stoned memory of what i saw but all right so going back to the planet master like right away it's like you could tell that they're like this guy's the 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 big bad or he's not the big he's he's the big power in this universe and it's a character and he's sitting there and they kind of glow his head right they kind of just put this red sort of glow and the guy right away goes it's time to put forth the plan that it's you know whatever he's doing and right away you're like oh that's fucking ray walston like you hear his voice and you're like okay so that's the part ray walston is playing he's playing the big character who says that now we must because he learned about this uh, the, this prior scene that we, you and I don't even understand what the fuck happened, but he somehow heard about the washing machine, and he mm-hmm. said, I need to send a bunch of people to space to go look into it. Uh, uh, okay. All right. I, I, I guess that's what you got to do, the all-wise, all-knowing, all-powerful you know, powerful being. He knows what to do. So he sends this crew to space, and now that's the kind of movie we get. We get a, it, it's basically that trope of you know, mystery out in space, a group of people have to go solve the mystery. Basically every aliens movie. Yep. 
All right. So I know it's Ray Walston right away. <laughs> so they, they start to talk about, they start to show all the characters that are on the ship. They're all running to the ship. Um, yeah, that, that's what I wanted to talk about. Why was that captain in such a hurry to leave? She gave, the, she gave her crew of, of, I think it was uh, seven people. She yeah. gave them 30 seconds to get ready. Yeah, no, she just had a, off. she had a chip on her shoulder. She's that like saucy pilot trope. She's like, they'll do it my way. They'll catch up. They'll learn. We'll teach him. I'm an experienced pilot. No, no, you're just an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> you didn't have to do that. <laughs> so there's the pilot, right? They also have the, uh, the old guy who's like, you know, it's oh, the this, commander. This will be my last mission. <laughs> yeah, he was I'm too com- old was- for this. He was the mission commander. Right. Then they got, you know, the beautiful woman. And you don't know what she does. She just kind of talks through uh, different screens. But she's on the ship, too. Like, they never... She's like the Aurora character on a... a, a did I say that right? On Star Trek. Aurora. 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 I'm not sure. You know, the, they never really have a job that I know about. So she's just kind of like an attractive person. It's a Roger Corman movie. Doesn't have a descript sort of character. Okay. So she's, this- she's on the boat. This is the blonde ship too. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, then they got, you know, they got their good guy. You got your, your, I don't even know what his name was. Then you find his love interest. His love interest is Aaron Moran who played, uh, Joni from happy days. This is my favorite part of the movie. So they bring in Aaron Moran. I'm going to say, this is my favorite part of the movie about 50 times. Cause I have a lot of favorite parts. <laughs> I can't have one. I have several favorite parts. So they bring in Erin Moran, and she's like this big star, right? Because it's 1981. She's really known for Happy Days. There's a Happy Days spinoff called Joni and Chachi. And now it's her big screen debut. Maybe not her big screen debut, but it's her big next step. What's going to happen in my career? She's casted in Galaxy of Terror. I, when, as soon as I saw her, I was like, you've got to be the main star. She's not even the main star. She's just part of the ensemble. And she's got what kind of power did she have? She had like this psychic power. She was um, she was size sensitive, which is uh, I had to look that up because I wasn't exactly sure what that what that meant. Um, her name was Aluma. She uh, size sensitive focuses on uh, psychic extrasensory perceptions, having to do with detection and sensing like supernatural things around the the area. Okay, sure. Yeah, that's that's a thing. Okay, yeah, I, I got some it. of that. Yeah, yeah, I I know when there's aliens outside. Yeah, and her her love interest um, I is keep the good calling, captain. Yeah, I keep calling him Cameron, but his name was actually Cabrin in the movie. Cabrin, Cabrin. Uh, yeah. I love that too. With space movies, you gotta like just take normal words, twist <laughs> them, and then move a few letters, and you got it. <laughs> yeah, Aluma, Balon. We have uh, Cabrin. Uh, the captain's name was uh, Tra- Captain Trainter. Was it? Was there a Jim? There Jim? was no Chuck. Yeah, there was nobody normal. No, no, absolutely not. No, no, no Peter. No, <laughs> no Bill. No Bill and Casey. <laughs> what did you think about? So Sid Haig is in this movie. Yes, you know Sid Haig. I love I know Sid Haig, man. Sid Haig. R.I.P. passed away, but he was big in the Rob Zombie uh, trilogy. The you know Three from Hell. Uh, House of a Thousand Corpses, Devil's Rejects, and he's an awesome dude. Like when I go to a convention, he's so nice and kind and chatty. I had no idea he was in this thing, and it's a younger version of him. Yeah, and he's like the Casey of the group. He's this big, you know, strong guy. So I'm like, okay, 
we got now we got this tough guy and he's got this weird fascination with these crystals right they're throwing stars they're like ninja stars yeah Yeah, yeah. uh what does he say i live and i I live in yeah by the crystals (laughs) so these crystals must be some kind of space magic it's got to be like their version of the lightsaber and that line in the movie bill is the first time that's that's at least i'd say 35 to 40 minutes into the movie that's the first line that sid Haig has in the movie (laughs) does he have another uh, after that, yeah, he he does a little bit, but not much. Oh fuck, I'm getting killed. That might have, <laughs> I, I think he said that at one point. Oh, uh, his his portrayal was my favorite. Okay, yeah. I told you I was going to say my favorite a million times. When he threw the when the, they opened the door. All yeah. right, man, I'm jumping ahead. All right, so the whole ship eventually gets yeah, yeah. yeah the ship gets sucked into this mystery planet. They they crash land and they're like, okay, we're here, and they are going into this kind of cave thing. They're eventually going to find what, you know, we discussed in the beginning, that intro scene. They're going to now stumble upon two dead bodies. Maybe they'll see the washing machine monster. We don't know yet. So they're working to open the door. And the set, man, the set is made of paper mache. Like, this yeah. thing looks absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> and they go to open the door, and it starts to shut. And he throws the ninja stars, which must be, like, impenetrable, unbreakable ninja stars. And he throws them, and it lodges the door open, right? But then you see suddenly the door is more powerful than the stars and the stars shatter like this really bad special effect. When you realize that you're just looking at two plastic throwing stars that really don't look like crystals and fucking Sid Haig loses his mind. He's loses it beside himself. Yeah. I have to switch that around though on your bill. It was actually the other way around. They were, he blew up and the stars were okay. No, 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 no. The doors were actually already closed, and he threw the stars to try and keep the doors closed because I don't think that they wanted whatever was inside of those caves to be coming out. What were they going to do? Just stand because, in the front of the cave forever with a busted ship? I don't know, but think about it because when, the, when, the, when he threw the stars and they broke, that's when the doors ex- popped open. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I must have watched it in reverse. Sometimes I do that. I skip ahead 10 minutes and I, <laughs> I skip backwards and watch the movie that way. <laughs> we haven't even covered all the people that are in this movie. So, right, so. yeah, no. So another thing, though, is uh, going back is how, the, how did they know they landed, they crash landed on that planet where the other ship had crashed? How did they know that it was safe to go out there without uh, oxygen? It's a really good question. You know. Roger Corman really didn't think this through. <laughs> That's a good point. They just got to run out. Hey, we crash landed here. Yeah. So uh, then the uh, Aluma, then um, she all, she obviously has problems with like the team leader who is Balon, and he's not impressed with her her size sensitive abilities. Right. He's like he's like if there's a problem out here, I'll find it myself. Right. Tough you guy. Know? Yeah. He was not impressed with her abilities at all. He's the he's the guy uh, Zalman King is his real name, right? He was the asshole. I'm in charge of yes. this ship. Don't think yep. you're going to be in charge of this ship. Yep. They picked me. Yeah, he went on. He he became a director. He did a bunch of like Skinamax movies, okay. Richard Diaries, and uh, what else? Um, uh, I don't know all those movies that I stayed up real late <laughs> as a as a kid to watch. So he so actually acting, had a career after this. His acting career didn't last. He was he switched over to uh, directing and stuff. He's like, look how easy it is to make a shit movie. <laughs> I can make shit movies. <laughs> that had to be it. 
<laughs> Who else oh, did they man. have? So they had, but they had two more people. Uh, Robert England. Robert England. Robert fucking England. Freddy Krueger shows yeah. up in his movie, and he's a young version of himself. I don't know if I've ever seen him younger than that. Uh, yeah, I, I'm not sure if uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you if he was in anything before that. Yeah, I'm, I, I gotta look that up. But what was his role? Everybody had a role in the ship. So before. his role, he was the mechanic, Bill. Oh, okay, the mechanic. Yeah. Did they say that? Because I must have missed. I that. just assumed that because he came out. He was he was one of the ones left on the ship with the captain, uh, and Ray Walston was the other uh, person on the ship who we find out is the cook, the cook of the ship, and then uh, Robert England who come. He came down where the captain was sitting with uh, the cook, and he had like some kind of like mechanics tool pouch, which I just assumed that he was trying to fix something. Okay, that makes sense. He was holding a, a needle nose pliers the whole movie. So he must have been the mechanic. I mean, they did such a bad job of setting this thing up. It just sort of rolled into a movie somehow. Now, you got this ship. You got important people on the ship. You got a cook. Of all the things to have, do you need a cook? Like, do you need an extra body just to be able to make, like, you know, your ham sandwich at lunch? Yeah. But they got a cook. Uh, okay. And then the fucking, a- the fucking cook is Ray Walston. So I'm like, uh, well, that's the fucking uh, Planet Master. That's the Oracle. So he's on the ship. <laughs> that's the Oracle. Does nobody else know that that was the guy from the beginning? Was that supposed to be a surprise? So I'm confused watching the whole thing. I'm like, why is the Planet Master the cook? Oh, this is the twist. Fuck, I figured it out before I, I finished the movie. <laughs> it was so obvious to me, Casey. I was just like, damn it, damn it, damn it. Ruined the whole thing for me. You know, I might have even scanned over that part. I don't even think until the end that I knew that he was <laughs> because I I wasn't as familiar with Ray Walston's voice, yeah, as you were. So that's why it threw me off. <laughs> you know, yeah, it's like I I the all powerful, all you know, important being. I'm gonna I'm gonna send these people on a mission that I I can't even I don't understand, and I'm gonna be the cook so I can watch. And make sure it goes okay, I guess. But like the whole time, I, I was he a bad guy or a good guy? I mean, it's one of those interesting sort of characters. Uh, you can't really tell what side of the fence to sort of plays him on. I would say jumping ahead to the end that he was a bad guy. All right. When you we know? get to the end, you have to explain why. Because I sure. walked away going, I, I don't know what the fuck happened. Sure. So then, all right. So they, the, we're at the part. Actually, before they go into those caves and before the crystal uh, throwing stars break of Sid Haig's, they enter the other crashed ship, the one that we saw at the very beginning of the movie. And this is where we get our first jump scare. Oh. The the body drops down. I don't know if you remember that. I was probably too scared to remember it. Okay, a body drops down from the ceiling, and um, Sid Haig throws both ninja stars into the body. Right. And uh, and then he goes and he goes and gets those throwing stars. And the other guy who we haven't named yet, I, I'm not sure of his name, but he was like the one that was afraid of everything. He, like, right. He was like a rookie. I forgot. Yeah. He's another trope in this ship. Yeah. He was like He's the, scared of everything. Yeah. It was his first role. It was his first like mission or whatever. And and after this body drops and after Sid throws the the ninja stars, this guy pukes in the corner. And then uh, the the main guy, the the not the captain, but the um, the uh, the leader or whatever of the group, he just torches his body. He's got a he's got a flame. Everybody has flamethrowers, right? And they just torch this body. 
Right. Like he was one of the crew members that they're looking for. Yeah. Now he's barbecue. And they, they torch him. So, of course, Bill, then they all split up. How could I have forgot that part? <laughs> I actually forgot there was a rookie until you reminded me. Like, he was just like, <laughs> you knew he was going to die first. <laughs> There's no question. I, I, I don't want to go out. You're dead first. <laughs> I don't want to go out. You're, you're going to die first. That's right. So how many people were on the ship total? I think that's uh, 20, 30, 40. My math Seven. is bad. Seven people on the ship. Yeah. At least. Yeah. So, uh, so that's when they all split up then, Bill, after. Yeah, what after was the that. reason for sp- splitting up? They said, uh, let's just all split up yeah. and get picked I mean, off one by one. Let's not yeah. stay together and have each other's backs. Let's go. And we see these bloody dead people. Let's go one by one. Yep. Yeah. Then the second jump scare happens not too long after that, where the puke boy, as I call him in my notes here, he gets scared of like a, a wire, a falling wire. And he, he makes a ton of noise then after that. I don't remember this at all. So a wire fell. Yeah, like because he the screams or. Yeah, he, <laughs> no, but he, he's like very scared, you know, and like crawling and always looking over his shoulder. Yeah. Yeah, if you want me to stop here, if you remember anything. No, I th- at this point I was like, let's get on with it. Let's, let's get rid of the rookie because <laughs> we know he's going to die. All right. So then uh, they come across another dead body. Another crew comes across another body, another dead body. And they shoot it in the head, and then they, they torch it again. Right. I which, thought that was the crew from the beginning. Oh, the first one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the very first, from the crashed ship. Yeah. In the very okay. beginning. Yeah, yeah. That's who it is. And that's who this crew went to find. Yeah. They went to find survivors of that crashed ship. And that guy, the, the second guy that they torch, he's, he's, you know, leaned over at a desk like that, and... You know, he possibly could have been sleeping. You know, who knows? And they just blast him in the back of the head twice and then light him on fire. Yeah. Uh, oh, dude, you okay? You know? yeah, we, we came to save you. Yeah. Come on. Oh, you're all right? Let's go. <laughs> no. Yeah, their way was, ah, he's, he's, he's chunked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he could have been just knocked out from the impact of the crash, you know? That's right. They really weren't very uh, sophisticated, this crew. No. They didn't take no. a pulse or anything. Nope. He probably so then, smelled bad. <laughs> probably. <laughs> so then uh, an alarm goes off after that. We're not sure what kind of an alarm it is. It's just an alarm starts uh, going off and making a ton of noise. And that's when we, when we see the first monster uh, who actually just looks like a big giant beetle. I don't know if you remember that at all. It's I just don't like remember the beetle. Crawling through the, uh, the wreckage of the, of the ship. And it's just like, it looks like a big beetle. Well, I think I passed out at one point because I woke up and they were, they were, they were, some guy was crawling down a cave. When did that happen? He was going, that's not for for quite a while yet, Bill. How could this movie have (laughs) left gaps like that in my brain? So I can jump, let me jump to that. So then uh, Puke Boy makes a bunch more noise again. He's, he's running for his life. Uh, He, he then comes into Balon, who is the dick and uh, Aluma, who is the psi sensitive girl. Right. And then Sid Haig and his buddy show up and they're all together there. Sid Haig has a plastic bag over his shoulder with one of the torched crew members. He's got like a, a bag of the torched crew member. Yeah, a body bag, yeah, of the torched crew member over his He's shoulder. He's taking the ashes. They're take no, they're taking it back to inspect the body on on the other ship on their ship so then uh the puke boy he's clearly shaken and he's like the last one like 
left behind, and he's still making a little bit of noise. But then uh, he seems to, like, calm down a little bit, like he's ready to go off the ship, and then he just gets wrapped up and, and eaten by this, you know, monster that we saw a the few beetle. minutes earlier. The beetle, yeah. Um, so then uh, the, the side girl, she said she sent something. They were already all back on the ship, but, uh, you know, he was killed. Nobody ever – I don't know if they even really mentioned him again at all after that. That's why I forgot him. Yeah. <laughs> like, they didn't go back looking for him at all. I'm not even sure they mentioned his name again. I don't they even know sad. if he had a name to begin with. They didn't once go, hey, where's – anyone see the rookie? Yeah, no. Nobody even thought about him. <laughs> so then uh, then we see that two people are doing an autopsy on the on the crew member that Sid brought back. They go back outside. Side girl says she feels no sign of life at all has never felt anything like this before ever. Uh, and then, and then they of course split up again and then they start climbing the huge pyramid. Did you see that? Yeah, right. Where they yep. climb in the pyramid. And then uh, the commander is the older guy. He's like getting second thoughts of like, why did I do this? Why, you know, why? and then he falls, he's like climbing and he falls. Do you remember that part? I do. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, like, it is. I guess we we discover that it's like it is like some sort of pyramid because they get up like to the top of it, and he goes down in this hole. And then uh, for for whatever reason, he goes down in this hole. And but let me let me pause you. So I remember jumped. he fell, and I'm like, okay, you fell for a reason. Either you're not made for this mission, and you're showing us the audience that this guy is a little bit too fragile. He's he's you know a problem. So this is where we find out that that it is like an actual pyramid and a, a a big open hole. And the commander, the old guy that's getting the second thoughts, he's uh, he shoots a he shoots like a carabiner down into a couple rocks, and he starts climbing down this hole for whatever reason. And the the you can definitely tell that they didn't spend very much money on this scene because it's like him repelling down this hole and he's supposed to be going like down and down and down and down. And it's just like the same scene over. It's like, he seems like he's at the same spot. Like uh, no matter how far they want you to think that he's going down that hole, he's still at the same spot. Right. 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 <laughs> Little theater of the mind there, Casey. <laughs> Yeah, that that was a weird one. Like that's where that monster popped out. Yeah, uh, pops out of this little cubby in this in this hole and sticks to his face. And dude, the, the sound effects were amazing. It was like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we sat there for like was it a half hour watching that thing go? <laughs> it was one of the longer kill scenes for sure. I'm pretty sure that's a sound that I've heard on Scooby Doo. You know, like it's a a stock sound. I was cracking up watching that one. Yeah, we don't even know why he was going down that hole. Yeah, no, they were, uh, he goes down the hole, the line breaks free. The guy catches him, but uh, then, of course, the worms come out and they start, they start just sucking his blood. Like, I guess they were blood sucking worms, maybe. Leeches. Leeches. They were space leeches. And the two up top who are desperately trying to pull him back, it's like that Jaws thing. It's like, Let's get him out of the water before that <laughs> shark eats him. And they start pulling up, and they realize they, they lost him to something. Yeah. So they didn't actually see what got him. Right. No. But then uh, the other guy goes down after him, actually. I'm not sure if you remember that part. Um, I do not. Yeah, he, he actually climbs down another line, and he, it's just an empty 
the empty line is the empty oh, right. rope is there. There's nobody there. You know, He's they like, ate him. Just... Where could he have gone? <laughs> he couldn't have fit through that little <laughs> four uh, centimeter circle there, and they'd gone into that little cave, that little that little nook and cranny. This is a mystery. Yeah. So this is the this is then when we go back to the ship where we find the captain, the uh, the bitch captain that took off in in thirty seconds, and also. We didn't talk about this, Bill. Um, before they land, crash landed on the ship, she, for whatever reason, sent them into some kind of like hyperspeed that no one was prepared for. Also, uh, <clears throat> like before they crash landed on this ship that they are on the planet they're, that they're on now. Well, that uh, was the that was the thing to give them all a big scare and get them moving. No, no, this is while the, they're in the air. She did it again. Yeah. What an asshole. Yeah. Yeah, because remember uh, the first time in, when she gave him 30 seconds, that's when we see Robert England at the very beginning, and he didn't even have a seat when they were taking off. He had to sit in the blonde's lap. Right. <laughs> right. That was so strange. She just embraces him, and he's just sitting there like <laughs> like a kid on Santa's lap. Um, now we're in the scene where uh, we're back on the ship, and we're with the captain who's the dick who took off so fast. And also sent them into hyperspeed, which caused them to crash. Yeah. Um, she's now with uh, Ray Walston, and she's trying to figure out why uh, they sent a cook. It's she's starting to it's starting to register with her. Like why why do we need a cook on this? Oh, so she's like she, me. Yeah. All right. So then this is where we find out that Robert England's the mechanic because he comes down with the uh, with the tool bag. And this is also where we find out where the captain, um, you can tell that she was in something really serious. The pilot, yeah. The, back in the day, because uh, anytime, any, anytime anyone mentions the name like Hesperus or something like that, I couldn't really pick up what they were saying. But she just like, like <laughs> stares off into space. Yeah. Like it's complete, it affects her like in a major way. Anytime anyone even mentions that name. So it's like when you're hypnotized and they give you that word. And you, you start to cluck like a chicken. Right. Because I remember that happened. All of a sudden, she turned into some, like, different yeah, person. <laughs> That's a good impression. <laughs> yeah. So then uh, then uh, they torch another body. They're, like, out in the middle of nowhere. They torch another body. And then Sai, the Sai-sensitive girl, she's actually now getting pissed that they're burning the bodies because they're burning evidence. Yeah. Um, so then this is where they come across the the doors where with, with that we talked about with the uh, – the crystals, the, right. star, the swords, or the throwing stars, uh, the the stars shatter, and Sid Haig is is obviously upset. Um, they enter the caves, and now this is. Oh, I did write this down in my notes. It, <laughs> I love it your was, book report. It's so good. It was thirty four minutes into the movie at this point, and Sid work, Sid Haig has not said a word yet. So then they're inside the caves, and this is where he says, "I live and die by the crystals." Uh, everyone else goes down through the caves, but um, he's still there by the entrance, like still visibly upset that, that these crystals were smashed. Like he's uh, on his knees crying. He's oh, like, yeah. Yeah, he's not taking it well. Not at all. No, so then uh, everyone everyone else goes down into these caves, but the blonde, uh, the blonde girl you were talking about earlier, she goes back to check on Sid. But the doors are now closing to the cave again, and Sid, he can't even bring himself to go pick up a weapon. Like, there was a gun there on the floor that someone had dropped, and he, like, went to pick up the gun, and he he, he couldn't do it. He stopped himself from picking up the, the weapon. 
So he went to the doors and he was trying to hold the doors open himself and he just couldn't do it. So now Sid Haig is stuck on the outside of the cave. That's right. Yeah. Right. So, so then he's standing there and the throwing stars, he looks down at the smashed throwing stars and somehow they go back together, Bill. Yeah. They, everything rewinds and now he has his throwing stars back. Happy days are here again. Yeah, He's buddy. empowered again. His mood has totally changed. So, yeah, his mood has definitely changed. He's happy again. He goes to pick up the throwing stars. And uh, one of the throwing stars, it breaks off, Bill. And this was like pretty much, this is, I think, where they spent a lot of their money because this is one of the best scenes in the movie, in my opinion, is the, the crystal breaks off and it goes into his arm and crawls up into his arm. Yeah. And it's gone up under his skin and it's yeah. headed towards like his heart. So he takes the other, remember he has two of these uh, crystal throwing stars. So he takes the other one that's in his other hand and he cuts his arm off to prevent it from going into the rest of his body. If anybody knows the walking dead, you know, you got to cut cut off before the infection gets into your heart. You know, his arm is still alive though, Bill. That's right. I do remember. It's still alive. Yeah. Yes. So, uh, the other, the other arm that he cuts off, remember, it still has that other throwing star that broke off the piece that went into the arm. It, it then, the dead arm, not the, the non-dead arm, kills Wings the head. throwing star. I mean, this thing just like, blah, like it's the weakest throw. And then when they show it, it's like, <laughs> <laughs> And this is where we find out that Sid Haig does definitely live and die by the crystals. Wow. How poetic. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, we go back on the ship. We're back on the ship. Robert England, Freddy Krueger. Uh, he's some. The captain disappeared. The captain let, me, is, let me rewind you for a second. Ahead. Here's a little trivia for you. So John uh, uh, Cameron, James Cameron, famous director, right? Everybody knows James Cameron. Went on to do his own Aliens movies. This was actually his first movie. He was working behind the scenes on this. And, you know, the kind of production that this was, it was all everybody chipping in, people wearing different hats, doing different things. At some point, he was actually given a little bit of directing abilities. And I'm remembering now, because the, the hand that was on the ground, I believe that was part of his special effects, part of his, I think he shot that. So you know, this movie actually launched the career of James Cameron. Wow. Yeah, that was, that was one of my favorite uh, scenes, not only because it had Sid Haig in it, you know who we, we all love, but uh, because it was it was a pretty cool uh, horror scene, you know. Yeah. Uh, so then uh, we go back onto the the ship then, and Freddie's looking for the the captain. The captain has disappeared, and I, I don't I don't know I don't know if we see the captain again or if she was if it was ever said why she's no longer around. I mean, she well, just. Something she, weird happened. She's standing outside. The windows were open. The door was open. Remember? See, that part I missed them because yeah. I thought she just disappeared. Something happened to her. Okay. I, like she's facing some horror that she can't handle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. It, I, I guess we'll have to leave the audience hanging on this one. Yeah, how so did she part, die? Yeah. If anyone knows how the captain disappeared on uh, Galaxy of Terror, please let us know because that, that part I. I must have skimmed over that part because I, I, I have written down that I, I have no idea what happened to the captain. She just, in my book, in my book report, she just disappeared. 
Casey, I watched it, and I have no idea what happened at any, <laughs> any point of this so, movie. I've, I thought that this was a very odd scene in the movie, too. Uh, Robert England comes in, and when he's trying to find the captain, Ray Wallstein, the cook, is, is sitting there in the captain's uh, room, and he's reading a book. We don't know what the book is or anything, but he asks Robert England if he wants to read it, and Robert England like gets like physically like pissed off about it. He's like, like I don't know if he can't read or like what the backstory is there, but like he's not happy about like him trying to get him to read a book. Don't you know books have been banned? <laughs> you should go to jail for that, Cook. Yeah, there. I remember that awkward moment. So then uh, the blonde girl comes outside. She she gets the doors open somehow, and she finds uh, Sid. Sid Haig dead there, and uh, she torches Sid's body, of course. They torch the bodies. And the dead, uh, the dead arm, I thought this was kind of strange. It had maggots all over it. And if you know anything about maggots, it takes at least a day after the eggs are laid for maggots to appear. So did, Sid ar- did Sid's arm have maggot eggs inside of the arm? Like, how were the... How were the maggots there so fast, Bill? Listen, this movie is directed <laughs> by a guy who has made a movie called Strip to Kill 2. You, you're asking very good questions. <laughs> but, you know, you just have to suspend reality a little bit here. All right, all right. All right. So we'll move on then. So then a worm, they just show like a big worm like somewhere and he's just like growing. It's just like, it's just like a worm and he's just, it's just a scene and... He's just getting bigger. Yeah. This, is, this is the most disturbing part of the entire movie. Yeah. So and this is the most Roger Corman part of the entire movie. Yeah, absolutely. Do you want to explain this part? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> so the blonde that uh, she saw the maggot arm, she torched that, you know, the, after the worm, she's all alone trying to find uh, everyone that she has now lost that were back in the caves. And she comes across, I guess this big worm that was getting, you know, the giant worm that was getting bigger. And it it starts to, you know, wrap her. We've all seen the evil dead rape scene where the tree rapes the woman. Uh, it's sort of like that. This bug, whatever the fuck it is, it rapes her. And she almost seems to be enjoying it. I know. That's a little bit. Yeah. And that then, was the uh, foulest part of the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. And then I thought that she was... I thought that he ate her. I thought that she was completely gone, but then we find out uh, a little bit later that, you know, they find her body just laying there. Right. So it did not eat her, but uh, back on the ship. uh, But wait a minute. How do you think this scene came about? Like who says, you know what we got to have? We got to have a woman raped by a a worm. Like who thinks that up? How did that can only fly in the eighties? When did evil dead come out? Oh, I, that might have been late 70s, 70, right? 78. It was, it was Sam Raimi's like college film or something yeah, like that. Yeah, 78, 79, 80. So maybe someone was a big fan of uh, Evil Dead and they thought, let's, yeah, put, borrow it. let's put the rape scene in. We'll use uh, a bug. We'll use a bug instead of a tree. You know, it, it had to be, that had to be a Roger Corman thing. Oh, yeah. Like whose mind goes there? And then how do you how do you be an actress and you're like oh that's the part I'm gonna play, like do you know that when you sign up or do you get a script change that day? Okay, oh script change, I'm raped by a a worm. Yeah, we changed a few things around here. 
Yeah, you can't do the shit they do in the 80s. No way. It's so inappropriate. (laughs) Nobody seemed to care back then. That's what blows me away. Shit like that scared the fuck out of me as a little kid because it just made the world seem absolutely horrible. Yeah. Well, think about even going back even further, some of the movies that they made, like um, what was the one uh, with uh, Charles Bronson? Now, it's not a horror movie, but like some of Death Wish, I mean, there was like a, a violent rape scene in the beginning of that, you know? And uh, I, yeah. Jeff Goldblum was one of the guys that was doing the raping. You know, Jeff thought he was a better guy than that. Yeah, no, he's a raper. In, in movies. All right, so uh, now we're, we're back on the ship now. Um, Freddy is starting to have second thoughts of he, – he's also wondering why this cook is there. He's doing something that the cook doesn't like, and, and Ray Walston, the cook, knocks him out. He gets knocked out cold. Right. This is where we're starting to realize the cook is on there for a reason. Yeah. Oh, so in a way, I do have, I do have the captain in here again. Um, the captain finds out then that she saved the cook's life somewhere, and it was back on this Hasbras or whatever the, 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 where she always gets the vision, you know, where she always lo- is looking off into space. Yeah. Her and Ray Walston were together on that mission, and she, sh- she saved his life during that. And – this is where the, the Ray Walston comes in and finds the captain playing that game that we saw at the beginning of the the movie. I call it Asteroids. I'm not exactly sure what that was. <laughs> it could have been Asteroids. But, uh, oh, no, no. The, she's not playing the game. She's She's actually just, like, at a gun, like, on the ship, and she's just, like, firing into space. She's, like, having like, a mental breakdown. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, but she's um, actually firing. That's right. Yeah, and the yeah. special effects were so bad that, like, you never really saw what was happening outside of the ship. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Yeah, she was, like, just breaking down, like, thinking that, that things were attacking them or whatever. And then the cook was like, you know, you got to stop that. And then she that's when she disappears is after that. We never see her again after that. And yeah, then, we uh, have not told one part of this story in the actual order that this shit was edited and shot. Oh, <laughs> uh, no, it's somewhat in order. <laughs> and you we know what? It's still enjoyable. Like, it doesn't matter. You can watch this movie in reverse. <laughs> Nobody's can... ever going to have to watch this movie after this podcast. Can... No, but if you watch it in reverse, then it's like a new movie. It's like a new experience. You can watch the worm unrape the woman. Right? You can watch people go from fire to walking, walking humans. This yeah, is so a good that... idea. That's sort of podcast, just watching movies backwards. <laughs> and then seeing if we like them better. So uh, after that, Freddie comes back, and he's wondering who, who hit him or why he was knocked out. And then he just starts running uh, through the halls of the ships, like yeah. just like looking for, for something, you know? I love you call Robert England Freddie. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, let's see. A door opens, and there's a burned body there. Do you remember this at all, Bill? Because I had a question about this. There was a lot of torching. I, I can't remember every body they burned. Okay. Well, after after Robert England, Freddie gets knocked out, and he comes back. He was looking for who who knocked him out. He's running through the halls of the ship, and a door opens up, and there's a burned body there. But I'm not sure who that was. I can't. I'm not sure if it was the. It almost looked like the captain or the commander that got eaten. His blood sucked by the worms. But he was down in that hole, and I'm wondering how he would have got back to the ship and burned. But I, I don't, I don't know who it was. You know, it definitely looked like him because he he was like an older guy that had hair out to the sides, and he was the only character like that on the ship. But none of that stuff. I mean, he was sucked 
the blood, you know, the blood was sucked out of him in the hole, and he wasn't burned. So I don't know who it was. You got to remember, this movie was directed by the man who directed Smokey Bites the Dust. I, <laughs> <laughs> I still have the IMDb page. Over. Sorry, perfect. uncredited executive producer. It's perfect. Yeah. So, uh, so then the rest of the crew. I'm trying to trying to get through this here because I know we've been going for quite a while. <laughs> Um, then they find the blonde. She, she wasn't eaten. They torch her, of course. Uh, they all go back on the ship. The vapor locks are sealed. Uh, they determine there's no survivors, but the, the leader of the group says he's not going to leave the planet without killing the things that killed everyone on their ship. So they all go back off the ship now with the cook, the side girl. She's not happy about it, um, but she doesn't want to stay on the ship by herself. Um, so they all go back down in these caves where it's really windy for some reason. She doesn't want to go down. The side girl doesn't want to go down. She's scared. She asks her, remember you said about she had a, a love interest yeah. in the movie? This, is, I, this, this was one of my favorite lines of the movie. She was like in a panic mode about going down these uh, windy tunnels, and she said to her boyfriend, aren't you afraid? And he said, I'm too scared to be. Wow. So great. How could I miss that line? <laughs> so they all uh, they all go down into the holes, and uh, somebody hears something. They all start shooting. The girl, side girl, she gets she's gets stuck. She gets claustrophobic, or she is claustrophobic. She gets stuck, and then uh, they're sliding down the hole. She gets pushed. Um, now they're inside the pyramid, and they're crossing like this tiny little bridge to get over to the center of it. And uh, this is where we get another glimpse of like some kind of shadow creature. Which, Don't you feel like that this scene though it was a little bit too fun? Like they should have had like music because they're all going down these wacky slides. Oh and yeah, then, yeah, yeah. And then Aaron Moran gets stuck at one point. Somebody comes slide down and bust, <laughs> you know, bust her through. And like these are like supposed to look like the the gross internal you know uh, pockets of, uh, of of whatever's in this whatever this thing is made of. But no, it just looks like a regular fun water slide. And they're like wee right down there. It looked yeah. like a lot of fun, but the whole oh, tone yeah. changed when they started going down the wacky slides. It was like a Goonies thing. Like, oh, what's going to be at the end? Yeah. So, so what was uh, at the end? So what was at the end is uh, a bridge to go to cross over into the center of the pyramid. This is when we find out that it is actually a pyramid. And uh, the shadow creature that we see, and we can see he's, the creature is crawling underneath the bridge like right below them, and it actually trips Robert England, And he. this is where the tension starts to build between the crew because he thinks that the guy behind him, the dick, the leader of the group, tripped him. And uh, so they start like going at it a little bit. So then the, the dick, the Bellum guy, the, le- the leader of the group, uh, he says, go ahead without me, I'll catch up. And uh, another door in this pyramid starts opening and closing, and somehow the, the cook, Ray Walston knows where the switch is to this door, which like, how did no one know that? Oh, well, how the fuck do you know where that is? Why? You know, no questions asked. Yeah. How did you know to stick your hand into that hole and turn (laughs) the the knob? How did you know? Yeah. Then like Bellum sees this. It's definitely, it looks like the devil. That creature is like, don't you think it looks a lot like the devil? It was like a wolfy devil. Yeah. Bellum, of course, he's separated from the group. He gets ripped open by this uh, devil-looking thing. This is where this is where Robert England now 
discovers that the cook is the guy that's behind all this. And uh, he keeps uh, seeing something, but he's not sure what it is. And um, is it me or are they all dressed like Ghostbusters too? I noticed. <laughs> yeah, they had like the cheapest of all backpacks. Yeah. I noticed that too. Uh, like, wow. That's how you know the budget of the movie. Yeah. It's based so, on their backpacks. <laughs> so then uh, Freddie is like really pissed off. He's not happy. Um, he thinks that it's the other guy, Aaron, Aaron, the side lady, and uh, her boyfriend. They, he thinks that they're behind it. So then like this weird triangle appears, which I, I really I wasn't quite sure about what that was. But they all like they all it's like a door. Yeah, like a and teleportation they, door. Yeah, sort of. and they all, every time, like, you know, the girl walks through it, she's somewhere. Then uh, Robert England walks through it, he's somewhere else. And then the boyfriend walks through it, and he, they're all three separate places. Yeah. Uh, but they can actually see each other through these glass, you know, through this glass, but they can't find each other. It's like and, a fun house. It's like yeah, a, it's a hall of mirrors. Well, that's exactly what it is, because then it's Freddy versus Freddy. They fight each other. He Robert fights versus himself. Robert. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, well, th- but the- that's when we start to figure out that what the planet's doing is it's reflecting its fears back to the person. And I think that's important. Bingo. Going back to the, the woman who was afraid of slugs was the other guy. Like, th- it didn't make sense. But that's – I'm sorry to take you off the storyline, uh, the, the telling you. You're doing a wonderful job, Casey, I want you to know. But at this point, this is where the movie just completely is like, <laughs> we need to hurry up and get this fucking thing done. <laughs> yes. So we need to separate them and kill them yep. and still get to the point of why everybody is, is being killed the way they're killed. And when, yeah. they, when you go to Aaron Moran, who I still think is the, supposed to be the star of the movie, and I see she probably only had to show up for work like one day to film her <laughs> entire thing. So the part where they kill her, dude, that is one of the most intense graphic uh, deaths I've ever seen. Do you remember how they killed Aaron Moran, the Psy woman? They they just uh, kind of like her face starts to get covered with all these yeah uh, yeah yeah, yeah. And her head her head pops yeah her head popped it, yeah 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 like it just popped and her <laughs> eyes are already big and she's opening her eyes like really wide like she looks like Michael Jackson from Michael yeah. Jackson's Thriller and this thing is rapid and I'm like you can't kill Aaron Moran and all of a sudden it's like like oh my god her head popped like I was waiting for like her shoes to squirt off or something like that but her head just popped and dude I shit man I was like. I shit with every part of my anus. I could not believe that happened. I was like, you just killed Aaron Moran. And the, the, the image of that, I cannot get out of my goddamn head. The effects were really good. Yeah. Too good on Galaxy of Terror. Yeah. Yeah, so that, that what you're saying there is we have to think now. We know that it's their fear. Their fear is what is killing them. Yeah. So what was her fear? Worms? She's- she was. I know she Everybody was claustrophobic. I know she was claustrophobic, but I guess. I guess that. I guess that being a fear, claustrophobic. She got wrapped up. She got. You know. She might be she afraid got, of getting her head popped. She got sucked so tight that her head exploded. I guess. Yeah, that actually makes sense. See, you you're good at this. <laughs> you and Roger Corman. I'm, all right, so we got two people. Well, we got three people left. We got Freddie, Robert England. We got Robert England left. We got the cook, who we all know is Planet Master. And we have the good guy. The He's half Han Solo, half Luke Skywalker. He's the, the moral guy, whose yeah. name I still don't know. Bandar. Cabrin. Cabrin. Okay, Cabrin. Yeah. All right, continue. So, sir. 
So Freddie, Freddie, Cabron, and the the master are, back, are the only ones left. We don't uh, know he's the master yet. We still think no. He's right, 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 right. This is where we find out though that he's the master. Freddie and uh, Cameron, I call him Cameron. They're back at the like some kind of entrance to the pyramid, where it's like these huge steps going up to uh, Ray Walston, who comes out and says, uh, "Freddie says something. I can't remember." Uh, oh, he says, uh, uh, Fred, yeah, we find out that it was his own fear that attacked, uh, Robert England. Then Cameron says, there's no horror here that we don't create ourselves. And if that's true, it's finished. Then Ray Walston comes out and he says, there has hardly even been a beginning. Oh no. What does that mean? He's setting up for a sequel. (laughs) Is that what that was? (laughs) That's gotta be a sequel. (laughs) And then, of course, Freddie says, I knew it, you know? And then uh, they go back up to, uh, he goes to the top of the steps, and he calls he calls the guy Core. Did you notice that? Nope. By this point, I'm just like, holy shit. Baron Moran's, Moran's eyes just popped out of her skull. <laughs> I'm still stuck on this at this point. And they're at the core, the center of the pyramid. So this is where I had to... Uh, I had to Wikipedia this because it kind of really made no sense to me. Um, So I'm just going to read what Wikipedia said. It says that Ray Walston, he is the master, cannot be killed. He tells Cabrin that he has won the game. The master then explains that the pyramid is actually an ancient toy for children of a long extinct race built in order to test their ability to control fear. Cabrin is then forced to confront the creatures which uh, attack the crew as well as zombified versions of his dead crew, all of which he kills. And then uh, this is where I realized, Bill, why Sid Haig had the, the ninja stars. Because if you, if you notice, while he's fighting uh, Sid Haig, Sid Haig like, throws some Steven Seagal-type karate oh, moves. Jiu-jitsu. Yeah, so he, like, I think that he might have had like a karate uh, or – some type of uh, you know martial arts background, and that's why he had those ninja stars. And he's also almost tempted to uh, kiss his zombie girlfriend, Psy, the Psy girl, Alor Aluma. Then the master says, "You cannot find the rage." Did you made- say they all come back to haunt him? Yeah, zombies. Yeah, they all come back in like their their form that they died. Yeah. Yep. Right, and he didn't even see the way that they all died. No. But yeah, the the girlfriend comes back, who mm-hmm. I still am, you know, can't believe they killed. And he says, Okay, I remember Robert England saying, This is my fear. I should just remember it's my fear, and then poof. Mm-hmm. He, he wins the game that way. This whole thing has been a game. Yep. All right. At this point I'm like, what the fuck is going yeah. on? There's a wolf yeah, monster is- buzzing around. There's all sorts of things. And we find out the cook is really the planet master looking to give his Willy Wonka uh, estate over to, you know, Charlie. He's basically yep. like, you're going to be the next guy. But yep. what is the guy? What the fuck is he going to be? He's going to be the planet master. What is the planet master? What, the, a game player? Yes. See, that's what I, that's why I had to Wikipedia this because that's where I was completely lost. Like I, all the notes that I took prior to this were all my notes that I took that, I studied the movie. I watched it. I rewound. I went over different parts of the movie. Uh, the ending, like you said, I think they were just trying to wrap it up. They were didn't know what else to really do. We're and- $50 over budget. <laughs> wrap it. <laughs> yeah. um, so then uh, the master, Ray Walston, says, you cannot find the rage that made you want to kill me, but I am the same man I was before. 
Then uh, Cabrin stands up, takes a deep breath, and lasers just shoot out of his stomach and into the into Ray Walston. And Ray Walston curls up and says, "It is done." And then uh, so now the the host body is dead. Who was Ray Walston? Um, but of course, we know the master cannot be killed. Uh, but Cabrin takes his place. Um, and Cabrin states that he will not play this game and will simply leave the planet. Um, and then Core's Core was actually the the master's word, which I believe the the core. That's kind of what I th- thought is because he was at the center of this pyramid, like it's the core yeah, of the pyramid, you know. And that's why he was like glowing and all that shit. It says his dying words express doubt that Cabrin will ever be able to uh, change his fate. Cabrin is now the master. Uh, he torches the cook, of course, as you always burn the evidence. Right. And right. Uh, he gets the orb, and that's the fucking end of the movie. What it's have over. we learned? That's well, it. I mean, there's, there's, Those... there's no opening for. Well, there's an opening for a sequel. I guess we could, we could see what happens to the to the new master. See if he actually does become a game player. Huh. Yeah, yeah. You left on a cliffhanger. That is a brilliant movie. Yeah, I thought all around. That. I loved it. You know what's funny? Hearing you talk about it, there really was more thought put into the storyline than I had any idea of. Because I really would just drift it. I couldn't couldn't stay focused on the story. It was not really a well-told story. Sorry, Roger, there's a miss here. I think you could have (laughs) directed a little bit tighter. (laughs) Well, uh, we have to be honest with the the people that are listening. We we kind of recorded some of this before, uh, before our Larry Hankin interview. We, Bill had talked about it. Uh, he wanted to do a segment on it, and uh, we just really didn't find that it fit well with the Larry Hankin uh, episode. So I wanted to do a little research on the movie myself so I could talk about it. And, uh, yeah, Bill, like when I when – I, I don't like to talk about stuff that I don't know anything about. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. I, I just I – I look stupid, and I don't I – don't, I'm, not, I'm not good at making shit up about i'm not a good bullshitter i guess you know oh don't sell cars so uh that's why i wanted that's why i'm glad we we revisited it this and uh i had a little time to do a little research on on it and uh i would i would definitely recommend the movie if you're if you're into you know this this type of uh horror and and going back to our uh recording before the larry hankin interview where we talked about this I will agree with you. I think you do skim over a lot of stuff where yeah, you know, all right. I was like, you know, we, 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 we talked about it and then I was like, I watched it and I was like, wait, this makes a lot more sense than Bill was making it seem. Like. <laughs> <laughs> well, now that we've peeked behind the curtain and we, we said we had a dry run of this, I forgot even more since the last time we talked about this movie. <laughs> So I'd really like to know if the audience enjoyed listening to us do a book report because clearly we have just found out Casey is the organized one. He understands, you know, and can, and can see the things I can't see in these movies. So I like the format. I liked, you know, <laughs> hearing your, you tell the, the, the story. But, you know, it, we, we gotta, if we're going to do this again, I guess we got to find another movie to rip apart. I would love to hear what people want to, you know, see us talk about. I enjoyed doing that. I hope people enjoyed listening to that. Yeah, I hope so too, man. This, this was definitely fun. Well, Casey, it's a long one. Uh, you're going to have a lot of editing to do, sir. And it's good, got, brother. look at my video. I used the sun to start here to light my face, and the sun has gone down. Now it looks like you just have a head and two arms. 
I look like I'm in Galaxy of Terror. <laughs> so why don't we close it up here, Casey? Let's talk about uh, where you can find all of our stuff and yada, yada, yada. And your other podcasts, don't forget to plug them. All right. Yeah, definitely uh, search, search for us on YouTube. You can find us, uh, Deluxe Edition, yet another pop culture podcast. Uh, we're, we're now also on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, everywhere. You just have to type in Deluxe Edition. If you type in Deluxe Edition, yet you know, it, it'll, it will come up. Uh, also, we're on uh, Twitter and Instagram at Deluxe Edition Pod, and that's just with one E. And then uh, also our website, you can find our website, Deluxe Edition dot show, and that's spelled uh, with two E's, Deluxe and then Edition dot show. And uh, also, yeah, find me on my other show. Uh, I have another show that comes out every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. It's called On the Road with Jim and Casey with uh, James Morganti. And we, uh, we talk to a lot of different up-and-coming actors and, uh, you know, a whole lot of different people. So check it out. You can find us uh, on uh, Instagram and Twitter and all that stuff for On the Road with Jim and Casey. And these get published every Friday you put them out? Yes, sir. Every Friday, Friday night at 8 o'clock, you can find our show uh, live on YouTube and uh, on Facebook. And then uh, also on all those other platforms that I said. Is iTunes even still a thing? Or did they switch over to, is it called like Apple Music or something now? You are the expert, sir. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. People, I mean, I say iTunes, people know what I'm talking about. So This thing's called a podcast, right? Yeah, buddy. That's about as much as I know. <laughs> well, I hope we get to hear from everybody. It would be really cool to know, you know, what you like, and what you don't like as we shape this going forward. Episode number three is in the can. And just remember... Always live and die by the crystals. Yeah, buddy. And uh, click that subscribe button, please. It helps out uh, more than you know.
Seems like it took me too many good years to get to place I am now. Too much time in the shadows, chasing my fears. Time I could use right now. I just try to move on, try not to look back too long. Daylight is breaking within. It will be past skyline, my friend. Time on the highway can strangle the mind Stretches so out to end Start to develop a false sense of time That's when the fear sets in Fear's just a alarm Reach over and turn the thing off Now's the time to wait Cause we're way past the skyline today Skyline, my friend. Here we pass. 